yeah, they have a, a they're they have a lot of sources inside the FBI and mm-hmm. the CIA. And if the government comes out with their official line, they just write it up like little stenographers. Right. They're stenographers. They're not journalists. They're not right. reporters. You're supposed to fact check them too. Somebody well, in the CIA says something, you still got to say, hey, is it right or is it wrong? One of the best examples of that is the Twitter files. You see no coverage of this on CNN, no coverage of this astounding collusion between intelligence agencies mm-hmm. and a social media network to suppress accurate information that would harm the political party that's in power, which is fucking wild. It's wild that the news isn't covering this because, like, arguably, th- that's as big a scandal as Watergate. It's as big a scandal as any other times in the past where we've found that there's been some really shady shit going on that would change the way people would see a narrative. It's Watergate on steroids. It's Watergate by a factor of 10, but that's not the part that I wanted to highlight here. Hold on one second. Let's just let this play out. Remember when you had uh, Mark Zuckerberg on? Yes. And Zuckerberg was like, yes. like how, how many times did we play that clip on this channel? Yeah, the FBI reached out to us and they said, you know, hey, there's going to be a disinformation dump from Russia coming. And so we were ready when the Hunter Biden thing dropped. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, this is a perfect example of they were just wrong. They yes. said, oh, this isn't Hunter Biden's laptop. You know, it, it's no big deal. Uh, this is just Russian disinformation. Yeah. And then it turns out it was his laptop. And yeah. so and Mark Zuckerberg was almost doing a victory lap by saying, hey, I only suppressed it in the algorithm as opposed to banning it. He was like, oh, I didn't ban it. So therefore, I'm, you know, good on me. They were wrong. They were they got it wrong. Ugh, do I look pale and tired and ugly? They didn't get it wrong. They lied. When the intelligence came down and sat with Zuckerberg and they said, we're going to get word some Russian disinformation. They didn't get it wrong. They lied to Zuckerberg and whether or not Zuckerberg read through the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, they all lied. When the 50 plus former and current intelligence officers or whatever they, you know, intelligence agents of disinformation signed that letter where they said, it just has the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. They all knew the Hunter Biden laptop was authentic, genuine, and true. They all knew. So it's not just a question of them getting it wrong. They knew it was authentic. They knew it would sway an election. They interfered with social media, big tech, MSM, and they all went, you know, he, I forget the guy's name now, the kind of looks like Eminem. Uh, they, they're not the government's stenographers. I've said this before. The media went from being the government watchdog to the government lapdog. And nobody will do anything. Well, we will rage, rage, rage against the dying of the light, and we will scream it loud and proud here. They lied. They then went, got big tech to do their bidding for them, uh, got, you know, the, the New York Times to do their bidding for them. I was listening to Joe Rogan. I think he was with Crystal Ball and Sauger, you know, talking about how uh, the New York Times got the Russiagate thing wrong. They've always been doing it. They've always been doing it, but the gatekeeping has been so much easier before the advent of the internet and the democratization of information. There's a reason why dictator Trudeau wants to control the internet and he's well on his way to doing it right now. Bill C-11 has passed through the Senate with some modifications. Bill C-11 is the, uh, no, not the online, yeah, the Online Streaming Act. They lied. Zuckerberg censored the truth. 
whether or not he knew he was censoring the truth or thought he was being a good, you know, a good boy for the government, Twitter did it. Facebook did it. They, they interfered with an election while accusing others of interfering in elections. And they, they succeeded. And now the world, I don't want to get hyperbolic like Tim Pool and we're on the brink of a world war and yada, yada. Uh, it looks like we might be on the brink of a world war. I, I, I think cooler heads will prevail, but my goodness, I, I don't know why I read the media, but I still do. And, you know, count, the doomsday clock is at 1130, the closest it's ever been to doomsday. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's get some standard disclaimers out of the way before um, sponsors. And then the Barnes is coming in the house. Good day, Viva. Not streaming on local. I knew there was something I was forgetting. Um, damn it. I forgot to try to set it up on locals. Okay, I'll have to do it next time. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, because the problem is we're, we're simultaneously streaming on Rumble, where we are currently live and alive. Um, but people in France don't get uh, Rumble live. And so... Uh, when I go, when we go to Rumble exclusively, the people in France get shafted and then I have to download, which I do every day after, um, the entire stream on vivabarnslaw.locals.com uh, so they can watch it because France has decided to screw over their citizens in the name of censorship. Uh, Passion Moyer, thank you very much. Which brings me to the disclaimer. Rumble rants, super chats. Those things right there, if you want to support the channel, feel free to give a tip and I may or may not be able to read the comments out loud, but I'll do my best to bring it up. Uh, YouTube takes 30% of Super Chats. If you don't like that, we are simultaneously streaming on Rumble. The link to the Rumble channel is in the pinned comment there. Rumble has the equivalent called Rumble Rants. They take 20%. So better to support a platform that supports free speech and better for the creator. Now, no medical advice, no legal advice, no election fornication advice. Although we will talk about that stuff. Um, but nothing here is nothing here is legal advice or medical advice. If you need medical advice, consult a doctor that you can trust that's not going to screw you and sweep you under the rug. Uh, if you need legal advice, consult a lawyer and um, make sure you know you're engaged in a lawyer's relationship. Um, prayers for Turkey: sixty-five hundred buildings, ten stories or taller, have collapsed. Um, Outrageous. All right. Uh, and let me see here. Why did France ban Rumble? France banned Rumble, Midlander, from what I, if I think I understand it, I think I do. Um, because they wanted Rumble to de-platform ban RT. And Chris Pavlovsky and Rumble said, Zut alors, c'est de la merde, putain. And they said, no, we're not banning RT. And then from what I understand, France said, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to ban Rumble in France. And so unless you have a VPN... You can't access France in, um, you can't access uh, Rumble in France anymore. Outrageous. France doesn't have free speech. I don't know where it does have free speech. And my goodness, I um, have been listening to some, some interviews and podcasts that'll just make, blow your mind and um, make you understand and truly understand the expression, hard times create hard men. Hard men create soft times. Soft times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. And like many of us believe, we are in the era of soft men creating very, very hard times. Now, before we get started, you may have noticed it says uh, this video contains a paid sponsor, which it does. And why does it do that? 
because we've got a spot. We've got two sponsors for tonight's videos. Birch Gold is number one. <sighs> Let's let. Uh, we watched the world. We watched the world. Um, we watched the world burn, and really, all we want to do is live our lives and live them freely. And we want to, you know, keep the money that we have without having it stolen by Verizon. Sorry, did I say that out loud? Verizon, not yet done with Verizon. The Biden administration's New Year's goals of tax and spend and turn a blind eye to inflation, is it at odds with your goals of securing your savings? When you finally had enough of the games government is playing with your savings in retirement, diversify into gold, people. I make jokes, but gold is uh, the gold standard. Gold is gold is good <laughs> if, you can, if you can afford it. If you can, certainly would have lost less money and made some, actually, as opposed to Crypto, but whatever. I am tired of my money being impacted by stupid decisions by leaders in Washington and Canada, for that matter. Oh, for over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get in. You can always get in with gold. In fact, you can own gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. I haven't figured out how that works yet, but you can actually roll over your 401k into like precious metals. Uh, Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA into a, an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Go to birchgold.com forward slash Viva to claim your free info kit on gold. With 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals, Birch Gold can help you. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. Like, I, I remember how much gold was back in the day when I first started collecting coins and uh, could never actually afford gold coins birchgold.com forward slash or promo code viva and uh you'll get a kit and it'll show you all what to do now speaking of gold people something that has been described as being worth its weight in gold it's all doom and gloom but at the very least uh you know like donald trump said hope for the best prepare for the worst and one of the worst things that can happen actually is <laughs> power outages during the hurricane Ia, ian and the other one there i went and got a, a, a gas powered generator like a di no, it wasn't diesel. It was a, a, the gas we put in our car. And then I started reading articles after my parents started sending it to me. They're saying like, uh, David, David, those gas powered generators, more people get killed by the generators than they do by the hurricane. I don't think that's true, but that's what my parents said. Uh, but national security experts are warning our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. You saw what happened. People shooting up power grids, yada, yada. You go out of power, you lose power. I just got an email from somebody. That's going to be a problem. A blackout lasting not days, but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time right at the moment the power fails. Lights over the country would go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own portable solar power panel is more important than ever. It, it's, it's like, especially in Florida, it's a necessity. Uh, I did actually return my gas-powered one because I didn't want to get killed, and it was still in the box wrapped up. So with Patriot Power Sidekick, from four Patriots, you get a solar generator that doesn't need, that doesn't install into your house. Quick, easy, portable, on the go or inside. It's small, about the size of a lunchbox, but it's powerful. Powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, and even mini fridge. It comes with a free solar panel and free shipping. And a practically unheard of 365-day satisfaction guarantee. And not only that, but you get 10% off your first purchase by typing in promo code VIVA at checkout. 4Patriots.com, promo code VIVA. 10% off your first purchase of the Patriot Power Sidekick or anything else in the store. Uh, things that are good to have, regardless of what goes down. And uh, if you're into camping, it's good stuff. Uh, the image on Rumble has frozen. All, all the links to the two sponsors are in the pinned comment. No, they're in the description, but hold on. Why? Why has it frozen on Rumble? 
Okay, before before Robert Robert gets here, Rob A two dollar Rumble rant says, please start locals chat. Oh, sorry, I thought someone said we had started a locals chat. I'm gonna go start locals chat. VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com live chat will run concurrently with the stream. I'm just gonna go like this live chat here. Uh, booyah, chat away. What was that? What was that thing? The R R B G chat. That um, politically correct AI chat. Okay, let me just see if I did it. Live chat is on. Everybody, here is the link to the live chat. And now that we've gotten everything taken care of, booyah. I want to read. I want to read. Oh, the okay. Hold on a second. There was a twenty dollar Rumble rant. The super chats. Oh, there's a bunch of chats here. Hold on a second. Rumble isn't working. Is it still not working? Let me go there and see. Why would cooler heads prevail? China knows it's pretty much now or never. So did Russia. Even globalists know it's now or never. It will only get worse. I'm not your buddy guy. I, I will choose to be optimistic right now. Or I, I think realistic. I don't think it's being optimistic. I think, um, I don't know. I don't know how escalation of the conflict plays out. I'll be in Las Vegas for next thing since I'll be there. Where do I get tickets for yours? We had to reschedule our meet and greet to March 12th. Uh, that news was posted in vivabarnslaw.locals.com. So it's March 12th. So it will not be the same weekend as um, as Ricada. Now, let me go to Rumble just to see what's going on here. Refresh. Don't be a problem. Hmm. Certainly does seem to be a problem. Not Refresh if Rumble freezes people. Well, let me refresh. Okay, I'm, I'm seeing my... Ugly pun in there. Okay, we're good. We're live. Uh, Barnes is not here yet, so I'm going to talk about one story, which, oh gosh, the, the world in which we live, people, mind mind blowing. Let me just let me just pull it up because I, I I had it on the backdrop here before we get into this. Okay, so he, here's what happens. You all heard about that story, a a, 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 a disgusting video of. Two school, a bunch of school kids beating on a nine-year-old girl on a bus. Here's here's I want to show you how not racist I am. The racial component of that video never crossed my mind. Why? Because all children behave badly at times. All children behave terribly. Now let me rephrase that. Some children behave terribly. Children and young males, particularly. Are, they're they're idiots. And I say this with 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a blanket statement. Kids are idiots. Uh, young boys are especially idiots. And I we all seen that video. Uh, there's a uh, two kids, twelve and 10, I don't know, twelve and whatever, wailing on a nine year old girl in a bus. The racial component never crossed my mind. Period. I then saw one person on Twitter at one point claiming that um, uh, Walsh, Matt Walsh, was engaging in racist rhetoric by by using certain rhetoric to describe the incident, like by saying the kids were you know behaving like animals. And someone says, "Well, he that that clearly has to be racially motivated." Didn't even cross my mind because kids are kids, and 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 bad kids of any race, religion, or creed do bad things. That's just the way things work. Okay, fine. If you haven't seen the video, go look it up. It's terrible. Don't look it up. It's terrible. Why would you do that? You're just going to punish yourself for no good reason. All right. So then I see a headline on the interwebs. Um, 
that 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 shows this. I want to make sure we're seeing the same thing here. We are. A headline in the interwebs. iHeart, and I only know iHeart. I thought it was a Montreal thing. iHeart Radio is um, local radio in Montreal. Florida student arrested after video shows him beating up nine-year-old girl. Now, I knew the video. I saw someone post this on Twitter saying, hey, uh, interesting choice in, in, in image, given the story. And then I go to look it up. I go to look it up. And when I go to look it up, um, when I go to look it up, when I get to the story, I'll show you the, the picture that's there. This picture. They went from one stock photo to another stock photo of a school bus with a stop sign. And so when I see the article, I'm like, oh, I don't see that picture. And I think I'm going to get duped again. Once bitten, twice shy, third time traumatized. I haven't gotten to traumatize yet because I get traumatized off the second try. I made a mistake once. It's not soon going to happen again. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'm looking around to see if this is true. Did they use a stock photo of, not that it made any difference until it made, someone made it, made it. Did they use a stock photo of a white kid wailing on a white kid on a bus? For this story, which would be very peculiar. And then did they change it after they got called out on it? And so I went and I employed the tactics of the interwebs. And look what I did. Look what I did. This is it, 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 in the cache of the interwebs. The original photo is still there. So you see the photo when you go look it up. And lo and behold, uh, they changed the photo. They changed the photo to that in the story. And then that's the whole story. Um, and I found that shocking and outrageous. Uh, and, it, and, then, and then, you so, so someone decided to, um, that, that's, it's, it, that's misinformation. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. That's misinformation or disinformation or malicious, malicious propagandizing or deflection. And to do that, to do that is itself, I, I would dare say that that's some form of racism. It's as, it's as if to say, uh, there's something here that needs to be hidden, and therefore I'm going to deliberately try to mislead people as to the essence and nature of the story. It also just so happens that the, the journalist who wrote that article uh, happens to be black. And then that's going to add a next level to this. Because when I first saw it, the last name of the, art, of the journalist was Anderson, didn't exactly look like, didn't raise any flags as to, you know, was someone doing this on purpose? To deliberately uh, attempt to conceal the truth of that story is itself racism. And it is itself a form of bigotry of low expectations. We can't even be honest. We have to now try to falsify the narrative of that story to anybody who won't know. What was, um, what was uh, Coulter's law? What is Coulter's law? Okay, anyone in the chat, if you know what Coulter's Law is, let me know. Now, I see Barnes in the backdrop, so I'm not going to get into the second story, which I'm going to save for tomorrow. And maybe I'll have an interesting guest for tomorrow as well. We'll see. Um, what is Coulter's Law? And it doesn't matter. That's kind, It's kind of fraudulent. And then the guilt that the, the picture was changed, and so that anybody sharing the original picture might actually then look like a liar. Well, someone will look at them and say, why are you spreading disinformation? They didn't use that picture. It was a school bus. And yeah, I, had to, I, had to, I did my sleuthing. I'm not going to get bitten again. Uh, all right. Booyakasha. Outrageous, not shocking. Robert, get ready. I don't, Robert doesn't look like he's home. Hold on a second. Oh, hey, we got the mayor here. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. Robert, sir, are you, are, you in a, are you in a bunker planning for the worst? 
<laughs> no, in uh, in the home in the office, uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Beautiful. All right. Let's see. Um, let me see what the, if everyone says the audio is good. Audio, let us know, people. Uh, Robert? Well, I think, uh, we may have double opened up live chats on locals. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't okay. realize you'd open one, so I, I opened one too. Uh, whose do we close? I, everyone in my in my chat, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it and go to the other one. But mighty piss into one dollar tip. It says Robert, please teach Viva how to save chat so it can be later accessed. It's helpful to go back for less. Uh, yeah, what is is that the uh, there's a there's a you can enable live chat to be read afterwards. Yeah, it's a little button at the top. Okay, so I'm gonna end my. I see people going down. Everyone, leave the chat that I created and go to the one that Barnes did. Mighty piss. Thank you very much. Um, yes, stop. Robert, what do we start? I mean, we got, we got a lot on the menu tonight, but, um, yeah, we can go through first the topics list. I mean, we got, uh, the usual typical 21 potential topics. Musk wins big in another, uh, again, he's, he's like the Teflon Don of Twitter, uh, in his ability to win big cases that he's not supposed to win. Second big win in four months in court. Uh, a federal sentencing case, I'll describe that up here that I just went through here in Scranton, give people some background on how that process works uh, through lived legal experience. Uh, and I'll try to do it without cussing out federal judges in general. Um, the uh, We got the China balloon, you know, what, what some of the legal uh, ramifications of that may be. We got the Murdoch trial and some wild 404B evidence that's coming in. That's a very popular issue, probably the most popular issue in the law and trial for, for the ordinary person in trials is, is 404B evidence. Jurors love to hear it, and it's the exact evidence they shouldn't hear. We'll talk about that. We have medical spying on insurance denial with secret databases of insurance companies defaming and libeling people and denying them insurance coverage. We got the Ninth Circuit apparently opening the door for a federal property tax, uh, a uh, Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. We, <coughs> we have a uh, uh, you know, suing governments over hiding ta- uh, vaccine injury databases, including the Children's Health Defense lawsuit and a Japanese lawsuit against the Japanese government on the same grounds. We have a uh, we have DOJ going after Google and antitrust. We have the Seattle schools bringing a very interesting lawsuit against big tech. That's likely the beginning of a lot more to come about how big tech is causing a mental health crisis among school children mm-hmm. in America. We have rent control and whether it's unconstitutional going back up to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals may make its way back up to the Supreme Court. Uh, we have Eliza Blue. Uh, you know, is uh, can she sue someone for libel? Can somebody sue her or her associates for libel or maybe even tortious interference yep. with uh, coffeebrand.coffee.com of the quartering? You too can still get your Valentine's package for the quartering if you want from his uh, coffeebrandcoffee.com. Uh, we have homeless sex offenders. What happens? Uh, how do they define? How do they register their address if they're homeless? We've got uh, pot users probably didn't know there's a federal law that prohibits them from even having a gun. Well, a federal court might have just said that's a violation of their Second Amendment rights. That that it's a, that's one of those decisions where I'm reading it. And I'm like, OK, everything in the intro makes me very uncomfortable. And then by the end of it, I'm like, yep, I totally I totally agree with the judge. We'll we'll get to that. And then in a new uh uh, episode or what's going to be part of a, uh, all of our future uh, law for the people, usually on Sunday, today on Monday shows, we're going to do, we're, we're going to try to incorporate a famous case, a big case. Uh, maybe it's a historical case. Maybe it's a current case, 
But this one, because there's a recently really good documentary on it, the case I followed because of its broad contours and contacts, which is the case of Kim.com. Uh, then we've got when can vaccine injured sue, uh, based on, you know, part of the issues raised yesterday in your interview uh, of, of what happened in that case. But there's a lot of other people that fall in that situation. Can they sue? What's the impact of the PrEP Act? Uh, might there be ways to challenge it? Logan Paul getting caught up in the crypto mess has now been sued for class action fraud in Texas. We got a big Bitcoin case in London. We got bartenders being charged for their yeah. customers getting drunk and driving drunk. We got the Backstreet Boys' Nick Carter fighting back against what he calls false Me Too allegations uh, and, and one or two other fun cases. So that, that's the list. We'll get to what we can. All right. And what we're gonna, I'm just going to end it now on, on, on YouTube, everybody. Let's go over to Rumble. Pour la France, je m'excuse. Demain matin, le vidéo dans son entier sera sur vivabarnslaw.local.com. Uh, okay, we're ending on YouTube. Link is in there. Head over because we're going to start with the Chinese uh, balloon. You can now refer to things by their country of origin when it's Joe Biden. <laughs> okay, ending on YouTube, going over to Rumble people. See you all there, 2,334 people. Go. Um, Robert? By the way, that's a real red brick behind me. That's, that's not a, a green screen. <laughs> <He's asking. laughs> no, that, that, that looks good. And that, but that is, it's funny, like it becomes very beautiful aesthetics. One thing in Florida I'm not yet used to is there's no brick. There's no brick that I've seen. It's it's all stucco. Of course. Um, okay, Robert, the China balloon. I'm sorry, the balloon from China. <laughs> the Chinese balloon. Let, before we even get into the legalities of it, let's hear your take on, on which of the two narratives uh, you believe. Because there's two competing narratives. One is that this is a massive threat, Chinese spy balloon. Uh, drifting over the Americas, whether or not it's looking for locations, you know, infrastructure to target in the event of a third world war, whether it's looking for, you know, nice green lush farmland to purchase if you're China. Uh, one end of the narrative says uh, massive threat, uh, spy balloon, take it down. Why it wasn't taken down earlier, yada, yada, yada. The other narrative is China saying it's a meteorological balloon that got blown off course um, coming from China. No big deal. It happens all the time. Uh, and if you shoot it down, we're going to be livid um, and, you know, and make it into a, a diplomatic affair. Between the two, I've, I've, I've skewed it. Which, which narrative do you go with in terms of being the more plausible narrative of what's going on? Uh, neither of those two, because we also have the uh, narrative as to whether this happened during the Trump administration. And if it did, whether Trump knew about it, which we received conflicting information over the last several days. Some evidence uh, Mattis did know about it as Secretary of Defense. The Office of Director of National Intelligence, both John Rycliffe and his predecessor, Mike Pompeo at CIA, before he was the Secretary of State, said they did not know about it. So we'll we'll see in due time what, what, what the truth is. But I think Alex Jones' takeaway was probably the most pertinent, which was he gave it its historical context, which is con uh, a lot of Americans don't know the Japanese launched a bunch of balloons intended to uh, into the United States or intended to reach the United States, intended to cause mass disaster, fires, all kinds of things. Uh, I think it was Fugu or something like that, Fugo. You know, uh, if someone's saying I mispronounced the Japanese, I'm sure I have because I mispronounce English on a regular basis. But the uh, the most Americans didn't know about it because the Office of Censorship, that was back when our government was honest. At least when they had an Office of Censorship, they called it Office of Censorship. They didn't call mm. it something else. Uh, told the media not to cover it. So many Americans to this day don't, don't even know that happened. 
even though balloons of these Japanese balloons have been discovered all over the United States and other places, they just weren't as successful as the Japanese hoped they would be. And the for a range of reasons. But the big thing was the ability for have to have balloons last in the air. Because usually what happens, these weather balloons go up, they gather the information, they go up too high, they blow up, they come down, they parachute, whatever the database is, back forward, or they already transmitted it electronically or digitally. Um, the, uh, the, the, the goal here was to have balloons last in the air, not go too high, and to have steerage capacity. Uh, against various wind control. So this has been an experiment for a long time. The U.S. government uh, has a Defense Department budget designed for this. Allegations that some of it was, was intended to be used for domestic spying purposes. The thing is, a balloon only has marginal utility as a spying technique over drones, satellites, and the like, spy planes and the like. Those are generally better. They're just a little more costly. And some, in the case of satellites, don't get to linger <laughs> the way a balloon can. But very, very marginal utility, extra utility as as a uh, as that. And that's where some of the defenders of China who are saying this was intended to provoke a response to China, et cetera, uh, wasn't this was an overreaction by the United States. Now, now the flip side is that China uh, is China's ex- explanation and excuse that this was just unexpected winds didn't really make sense because there were no unexpected winds. Yes, the winds would naturally take something in that direction, but they knew that when they launched the parach- when they launched the balloon. The idea that it's just a weather balloon isn't really quite consistent, given weather balloons don't take the path they took, and there's more evidence of deliberate steerage. The Chinese only said it had limited steerage. It didn't say it had none. And the evidence seemed to suggest it did have that capacity. The, the counter theory would be that with knowledge of this history of Japanese balloon weapon weaponization, with knowledge that the U.S. government was trying to do its own do its own balloon weaponization, with not and that there's a wing of the Defense Department that thinks that China is technologically illiterate when it comes to the defense industry. A lot of the same people who said the same thing about Russia, by the way, kept saying they're about to run out of weapons, but not around. So there's, and I remember there was people on our board that were arguing with me about that, that China had no weapon system, that this was all exaggerated, that their nukes couldn't get out of their silos and all this stuff. Well, if you're a China and you're on the eve of a summit and you want to make a point to the United States, one way to do so is to make a balloon that lingers right over the populace to where they can see it in a threatening way. So it has an effect on the political, on the population. And the other is uh, that it that it have steerage capacity for weaponized purposes in the way that Japan tried but failed to do. And it would be China's way of saying, we, in fact, do have military technology you don't think we have. So maybe you should think twice before you double up your military stations and uh, bases in the Philippines like we're currently doing this past week. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this was a deliberate effort by China to say their military technology is much better than some parts of the Pentagon believe as a method of deterrence from that wing of the Pentagon that wants to go to war, because this also came on the after it was leaked of U.S. military officials planning to go to full scale war with China in 2025. Those plans are clearly being produced by elements of the Pentagon. And a large basis of it, as Colonel McGregor has pointed out, is the misunderstanding by a wing of the Pentagon that China is defensively weak militarily. He and others are suspect and skeptical of that military assessment by wings of the Pentagon. This balloon would clearly be testament to that. Uh, People are saying electromagnetic pulse. Yeah, that's one of the weapons that could be used. Uh, There's a range of weapons that a balloon could carry 
that doesn't have either the expense or other collateral difficulties and certain utilities. There's a reason why Japan was developing it, put it that way. I mean, in fact, it was the first intercontinental ballistic, uh, intercontinental um, uh, weapon system before we had intercontinental ballistic missiles was the Japan balloon system. And it did travel across continents. It just didn't have the scale and scope of success the Japanese wanted it to. Uh, now, I had jokingly said in the early days, like, they're not shooting it down because they don't know what's in it. And what better deterrent? I, I hadn't even thought about this, like, technologically, scientifically. What would be the possibility of delivering any form of uh, anthrax, you know, like any biological oh, attack yeah, from a balloon of that? You could do. Absolutely. It's one of the things you could do. That was one of the things the Japanese were considering doing. Now, mostly they ended up using it for bomb purposes with the hope of lighting fires all over the United States. Um, but it's it's... It's not so much what it's delivering as the fact that they designed a delivery system that can do it in ways that would be uh, and now. And I think that's why the U.S. military knocked it down, because before the U.S. military knocked it down, there was a lot of discussion out there in the military technolo technology space that said it's actually very difficult to knock down a balloon at that height. Well, you got Adam Kinzinger was all over Twitter, all over Twitter saying, and it's at 100,000 feet. You can't knock it down. And then people are like, dummy, it's at 60,000 feet, according to the Department of Defense. And then he's like, well, and then you had other people saying, uh, you know, it can't be done and it's dangerous to do it. And then there all, is a all... very high failure rate with actually trying to knock it down. Now, I don't buy the, the Biden administration's belief based on past shuttle issues and other things that they were really worried about debris. I think they were worried that whatever the payload was, would show up with some random farmer finding it and that there would be something about that that would be embarrassing to the Biden administration. So they shoot it down over the ocean where there's no risk that Joe Schmo comes up with it. And most likely it will sink to the bottom of the ocean and never be discovered. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it's where I depart with my conservative friends. My conservative friends saw it as weakness by the Biden administration. I don't necessarily. There's a wing of the Biden administration that wants war with China. And this will be inconceivable to a range of people in, in the conservative space. They won't understand that because they see Biden uh, as the uh, prostitute, if you will, in the relationship with China and China's the pimp. They don't understand that the Bidens, the Pelosi's, et cetera, see China as the prostitute and they as the pimp. And that's why George Soros has been calling for regime change in China now for going on five years. Uh, and a lot of of these warmongers want to force China to go back to being the servile factory worker they see them as, that the globalists see them as. And we're at real risk of escalatory conflict with China. And some conservatives, frankly, are playing into it. We don't want to go to war with China. That, that there, there's Trump's policies are still the best ones, which is let's renegotiate trade. Let's not extend and expand their social credit system to the United States. Let's hold them accountable for whatever happened. And in the pandemic, including if it, imp it implicates Fauci and others, but let's not get involved in a, a land war in China. Well, say, <laughs> never get involved in a war. When, sorry, but um, I, I'm just trying to think, like, visualize what does a war look like with China now? It, it would not be a question of anybody invading anybody's territory. It would be launching oh, missiles. The, plan. I mean, the, the plans that have been leaked is the U.S. to invade China, to recolonize China, uh, much like the 1800s. Uh, to go up this to go and China has, as Colonel McGregor has pointed out, China is almost entirely defensively operated. It's not very offensively or I think that's why they designed the balloon is, is they wanted to say we do have offensive capacity. You may not think we did, but they are obsessed with the memory of the 1800s, the opium wars, et cetera. I mean, people forget 
the Brits in the West forced opium on their population. <laughs> that, that's not still not processed by your average American. And so people, the, the Chinese people are deeply uh, uh, remember that. And so as McGregor pointed out, if you really study their best military systems, they're designed defensively to prevent people going up the rivers again and being able to conquer the inside of China. They are still weak. They launched another, you know, airship or uh, I mean, that was the airship, the balloon. But I mean, they launched another uh, air carrier, but they're still pretty weak in the naval side. I mean, they have some strength and it's a little bit concerning that we keep expanding our military operations in the Pacific. I mean, it's like, what, what, what is our goal here? I mean, is this looks like Ukraine all over again, where we keep doing military operations on Russia's doorstep. Now we're doing military operations on China's doorstep. What, what exactly? It's one thing to say we're going to defend Taiwan. It's another thing to have eight military bases in the Philippines. It's another thing to want to be extending our naval operation in the in the South China Seas and the extended islands there. That's just provocative behavior that I think is unnecessary and is designed for war. But there are people who clearly think they can win that war. And a big predicate of it is they have big assumptions about China's military capacity. And I think that's a mistake. We made that mistake. We went into Korea. We tried to dominate North Korea. China sent you know, a million plus soldiers, and we had to pull back to the 38th parallel. I, I just conceptually don't understand how anybody could think you're going to invade a country of. I, sure, they're not they're not armed yet, but a country of a billion, nearly these two are, billion people. Think you can win a win a winter war in Russia. I mean, you have these so called OSINT. They call them bro OISNT is kind of a joke. Uh, you know, open source intelligence people that are clearly affiliated and associated with deep state operatives and the like, or intelligence agencies, if you so choose that are suggesting that uh, Ukraine and the West can win a war in winter in Russia, even some suggesting Russia's not ready to handle war in winter. Uh, I guess they, you know, skipped what, uh, you know, there was a meme around that had Napoleon, Hitler, and some past people who've tried to go into Russia in the winter and how that's been their demise. You would think we knew better, but McGregor's pointed out there's a wing in the Pentagon that thinks we can conquer the world, that there's a wing that's a lot like the post-World War II era of generals that wanted to nuke everybody. Curtis bombs away LeMay, who, you know, even George Corley Wallace had to keep apologizing for in 1968. And he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean that. Uh, you know, there's a reason for the movies like Dr. Strange Love and the like. They represented actual people in the military hierarchy who wanted, I mean, MacArthur wanted to use nuclear weapons against China. In, uh, during the Korean War. So, uh, you know, Patton wanted to go into Russia after the, uh, the Soviet Union at the end of World War II. So there was, uh, though Patton was nowhere, you know, Patton was just aggressive as opposed to MacArthur and LeMay, two of whom have been icons in parts of the conservative movement, the more militaristic conservative movement, um, who are in denial about how nuts these people were. And a good number of them are still in positions of power. And they're willing to do two wars at once with the two other great nuclear powers of the world, Russia and China. That's how crazy aspects of the Biden administration actually are. At least we don't have mean tweets, Robert. It's um, but, yeah. but spe speaking of not having Trump in office. So what is this rubbish? It, it, it starts out as uh, it, it literally starts out as, well, there was a balloon here, but we had three of them during the Trump presidency. And then it was like, oh, three during the Trump presidency. Then it comes out that. Perhaps Trump, if it did happen, Trump was never told about it by the same military or by the same defense entity that also lied to Trump about the number of 
U.S. soldiers remaining in in, in Syria. What, what is up with that story? What is the truth, and what is just created afterwards to make Biden look less bad? We don't know. We know the uh, ODNI directors denied it. <coughs> Those are the Office of Directors of National Intelligence. We know that there's a story out there that Mattis knew about it and hid it from Trump. What I would say is it wouldn't surprise me if the military had multiple reasons for hiding it. So, for example, the military was bragging this week about testing a uh, our hypersonic weapons, our first ever hypersonic missile. What's ironic about that is, of course, Russia has actually been using hypersonic missiles in Ukraine uh, for the last six months. I remember at the beginning of the conflict, a bunch of the same folks saying that Russia had no such weapons, that they couldn't, that if, if the U.S. doesn't have it, nobody has it. Um, and I think it was embarrassing. It would have been embarrassing that China had developed this military technology or technology that could be used for military purposes before the U.S. had, when part of the Pentagon's whole pitch was we can go into China without worrying too much because their technology is so backwards on, on an advanced military scale. And, and there's still people that claim that economically. And sometimes they make good arguments and sometimes I think they overstate their claim. But uh, I think there needs to be a balance reached between not uh, deferring to uh uh, aggression from any foreign nation, while at the same time not letting it, you know, provoke people into doing something. I think that the, the it was it's sort of an excuse to cover for why Biden didn't knock it down right away. When I think the real excuse was Biden, uh, they didn't the U.S. military didn't want anybody in the Biden administration didn't anybody want them finding whatever was on that was being carried on that airship for whatever reason. Um, that there's something there that they're bothered by, and I don't think we'll ever get the whole story. For decades to come. All right. Well, um, that might leave more questions than answers for some people, but that is that is it. I, 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 if it were I'll to be, a, this balloon never goes down. That's uh, Elon Musk's ability to win incredible he, cases at trial. They're going to have to start calling it the Teflon Don of 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 the the courtroom. Uh, so this was the case where he was being he was being sued. Uh, the class action lawsuit, if I'm not mistaken, because he made some tweets saying we've secured funding to go private for Tesla at $420 a share, $420, which is also kind of funny. I don't know if that's done on purpose. Uh, he thought he had had the backing of some Saudi investors, from what I understand. Turned out to be not a lie. It, it either fell through or he overstated it. It's not clear if it was a lie. And um, it went to trial. And the jury said... Uh, dismissed. I mean, I, I guess they dismissed the claim. What are the, what are the nuances as to, I mean, the jury doesn't give really a reason, but what's the nuances behind the defense The what he didn't do it willingly. It wasn't a false statement. There was no injury. What, what's the, um, what's the rationale? This was seen as an unwinnable case for Elon Musk, much like his Delaware win earlier this year. So, or back in 2022. So the, uh, for those that don't remember, I mean, you know, the, everything that dealt with the Tesla's buyout, of the other solar power company that he was involved in. The people thought that was a real vulnerability for him, that he would lose it, that he would owe tens of billions of dollars, that it would put him back politically, it would put him back financially and put him at risk in terms of the stock value, other things. So the collateral ramifications could be substantial. Then he won. He won across the board in that case before a Delaware court presumed to be hostile. Here, he's in front of a San Francisco jury pool, which they had already done enough survey work to know it was very hostile. Well, they, they, boot, they, they boot him off stage <laughs> in front of Dave Chappelle. 
Absolutely. And, and they moved to transfer for venue to Texas because they said, look, we can't. It's very hard to get an impartial jury pool in San Francisco. This was a case where the court, the federal court had already found against him as a matter of law and said that his statements were false and that he couldn't have certain defenses and denied him the ability to get the Saudi witnesses there to support his storyline. So, in fact, technically, the trial was only being conducted on whether or not his statements caused damages, not whether or not they were true or not. So people thought there was no way he could win this thing. The, the, the stock market, the value of the stock went way up when he said it would go private. Then when they found out it wasn't, it took a major tank. Those were the class action of people who sued and uh, thought, and he's in San Francisco with a hostile judge and hostile jury pool. He is the main witness for the defense, to some degree, the main witness even for the other, for the plaintiffs. And he wins across the board. They came back in minutes, said, nah, Elon innocent. So, I mean, this will send shockwaves to people that are going after Elon Musk and Twitter and, and Tesla. Um, because he would, these are two back-to-back cases, presumed to be in front of hostile jury or judicial uh, pools or both, with bad fact patterns that look really uh, difficult to get around with legal findings that appear to preclude even his best defenses. And he gets in front of those judges. He gets in front of those juries. And he is uh, a master persuader and convinces them, and he convinces them that, no, the whole case is bogus. And this is extraordinary success. Some of the, uh, uh, it will be, it will help him in a wide range of settings. People will think he is the Teflon Don, that you're going to waste your time suing them. This was a suit they spent tens of millions of dollars on, I'm sure, and legal fees and experts and cost and discovery. And, and they have a favorable judge and a favorable jury pool, and they still get whipped, and they get whipped in minutes. So uh, credit to Elon Musk, a, a big win that's going to intimidate a lot of people from coming after him in the future. Yeah, well, and um, people in the chat are saying, Tefalon. They can call him Tefilon. Tefilon, yeah, Tefilon. Which is very good. That's not bad. I like that. Uh, and I made the joke, I think it was last Friday during Freeform Friday with Mark Grobear, Eric Hunley, where I made the joke, you know, like, how, I, Robert, how is he doing this? I don't, how about he, he just sends every, every jury member, I have your Twitter history. <laughs> and everyone's like, all right, don't, don't bring up, the, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. people. Um, and, oh, Robert, actually, before I forget, uh, the announcement is that our meet and greet is going to be changed the date in Vegas to March 12th, Correct. That is correct. So the uh, there will be 50 tickets put on sale probably later this week, uh, capped out at 50 people. Uh, it will it, it will the both the date and the time is moved. The time will be from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, we won't be live streaming a show. It will be an exclusive private uh, event, uh, about five hours long. It will include food as well as part of it, keeping it at the same uh, $200 a person price. Uh, capped at, uh, you know, like I said, 50 tickets. So the, uh, uh, and then, but we will be doing other events. Uh, the goal is to do one, at least one a quarter, maybe one every other month, depends on how things, how this event goes and how we're, uh, you know, everybody's schedule and, and so forth. So, you know, don't feel like you have to, that this is the one and only event. This is just the first event. And, uh, and I plan on doing it annually, the first Sunday of March Madness every year. So that there'll be an event, an annual event, Viva Barnes Law Locals event every March in Vegas going forward, at least is the goal, especially if this goes smoothly and everything goes well with it, which it should. We got a great venue. It's already been booked. 
Uh, got entertainers coming. Got uh, some some fun side little memento type projects coming, and uh, we'll have a live Q and A with everybody there. And uh, it, it'll be it'll be a fun, nice uh, event. Uh, we'll be it'll, in fact, it'll be Rat Pack style because it'll be me, you, uh, Eric Hunley, and Mark Robert. And maybe we'll even do it as the Rat Pack on tour down the road if we are able, if everybody's, you know, depending on what people's availability is. But I know Eric is already available for the Chattanooga event that I'm planning in April for my birthday. Um, so the uh, uh, so uh, we even have one of our great meme makers has made a meme for our, you know, like a poster for the event, the ticket invite, which is our faces on the uh, on the Rat Pack in front of the Saints. So. Uh, we'll have some. Well, it'll be a fun, cool little event. And thanks to all the people out there. And you know, apologies to those people who are who booked any travel in advance. You should be able to get uh, hotels moved. Should be able to get uh, airfare moved, um, and without too much expense. Uh, and in fact, my understanding is things are much not as bad uh, as, as expensive. In March, for some reason, that last weekend in February was crazy expensive. Nick Ricada's event ended up being three times more expensive for him than anticipated. Mark Robert's hotel bill was like twice what it normally is. And I was getting other people telling me that, telling me that there was something wrong with something unusually expensive. Uh, uh, so it was it, more of that price fixing, that, that yeah, biggest exactly. price fixing. They knew Viva um, Borders were coming in, so they tried to jack it all up. Now, Robert, uh, speaking of Elon's successes, and which is why he might have been distracted and not following the other stuff that's been going on on the interwebs, uh, we've been talking about it. This, this, the uh, so part of it's drama, and then part of it is also legitimate abuse of power that 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 ought to be highlighted if it is indeed existing. Which it looks like it is. People being banned for sharing images which are public by all accounts, um, and the the hole that is currently being dug. Uh, does not yet seem to have bottomed out uh, by by the pl- well, at least Eliza. And I say this like it's just it's just it, it's a catastrophe from a from a public PR perspective. It's a catastrophe from a messaging perspective, but it's getting dirty and it's getting more complicated. What now? I know um, the quartering was talking about you know, releasing some information, telling people to stop sending their minions to have them, you know, not release whatever information. I don't know what he's released because I'm staying away from the, uh, you know, the ad hominem drama. But there has been some purported, alleged potential threats of lawsuits for defamation uh, and potential tortious interference with, tortious interference with contracts. What is, what is the latest on the legal side of that, Robert? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, the first thing was apparently Eliza Blue. Uh, who we interviewed several years ago was uh, was doing a good job on Twitter promoting issues of Twitter's uh, well we're on Rumble right child we're pornography on, yeah. yeah child pornography problem which I, I thought was a serious problem I wanted attention to and that's why we interviewed her we wanted the world to know about this is a problem in big tech space you should be aware of it for your own kids sake uh, but also wanted to put pressure on Twitter to reform its policies Elon Musk to his credit as soon as he took over made it a high priority to reduce the amount of child pornography available on Twitter. And, um, and so he, and he also highlighted Eliza blue in that context. Then uh, some people started raising Brittany Venti and no, what here's the, what I, I chronology, Eliza blue goes on Tim pool and she announces uh, that she is supporting certain accusations against Andrew Tate. Mm-hmm. 
I suspect it was Andrew Tate fans that started to dig into her background. They began to raise questions about the sincerity of her claims as a victim of trafficking and uh, the certain content creators in what I would call the cultural space. We'll be interviewing one of them this Wednesday for Sidebar, uh, Nina Infinity. We'll be interviewing another one in two weeks for Sidebar, that Star Wars girl, who, uh, by the way, is completely apolitical. It's funny. She didn't know who Julian Assange was. She mispronounced his name. Uh, the, uh, so I was like, you know, she's not kidding when she says she's apolitical. She's got involved in this issue because of her friends being censored on Twitter. But Brittany, they brought to you Brittany, Brittany Venti, it came to her attention. Brittany Venti is another person within this space. Chrissy Meyer, someone else we've interviewed, yep. a prior client of mine. Um, the, uh, uh, had also platformed Eliza Blue. And uh, what happened is Brittany Venny asked Eliza Blue, what is this? Because it appeared to be video, rap videos that she had appeared in and that this was inconsistent with the timeline she'd explained elsewhere of being trafficked. The, uh, almost the immediate response was Brittany Venny was kicked off of Twitter, suspended from Twitter. And actually, just, just to pause it there for one second, because this was... I went back and rewatched our original interview and this was part of the, you know, one of the questions that, that we had asked was, you know, how are we understanding traffic? Because the, from her story, it was, you know, I got taken, um, got involved with what sounded like, you know, going to California, I forget where it was and sort of becoming like a groupie or, and getting exploited in that sense. And then being, you know, you know, uh, paid to do things. And the question I'd asked was, you know, like, what is trafficking in that sense? What does it mean? Because it sounds like it might be getting diluted. As a, and, and she told her story and, and she told it in, in detail, which is either good or bad if, if it doesn't match up with what other Internet sleuths have managed to find. So there was that, that element going back to her childhood when she was much younger than when this video apparently was shot, created and whatever. And I should correct or not correct because it was a hypothesis. It, it does look like um, that video from World Star Hip Hop was not some sort of stock footage that had been taken, rearranged into a hip-hop video by videos that had been later discovered by her own admissions. It looked like, you know, it was it was a, a, a project for which World Star Hip Hop publicly affirmed they had the rights to the content. Um, so that that video, I think, was six. It was it's been on the internet for six years. I don't know if it was aired the year it was shot, but it's been on YouTube for over six years, public, available. People found it, started sharing screen grabs. And they started getting blocked uh, or, or locked out of their accounts on Twitter on the basis that uh, it was public disclosure of privately produced intimate content. That was that was the explanation that I understood. Sorry for the parentheses, Robert. Carry on. And, and it appears she uh, she or her allies have misrepresented that content. That content is not legally protected private content. When you uh, go and do a video, now she asked certain people to take down some of the YouTube uh, shows so some of that was taken down, but it doesn't change the the legality of it. it. There's plenty of evidence out there that she voluntarily contracted, even sought out to do these videos, uh, profited at some level from their production, was aware for many years of their public display, bragged about it, and now is trying to pretend it's trafficking. And the biggest problem is this: that's legally not trafficking, and it represents a. a my biggest concern is. The dilution, what you talked about, the dilution of the significance of the term trafficking by by doing what happened in the Me Too movement, which was all of us and on college campuses, which was all of a sudden anything you regret becomes trafficking. It's not. And, well, and I, I, 
or even just say like having been exploited, some might call it exploitation is sure. not trafficking. And so like, sure. okay, I got, I got, I, I either, you know, I could have been on drugs and doing things that I am now ashamed of. I could have gotten, I could have maybe sold myself too cheap. So exploitation versus human trafficking was the big distinction. Sorry, I cut you off. And I think she's uh, diluted that. And, and the, I was concerned as soon as she became associated with the Andrew Tate case, because in my view, People trying to compare the Tate case, the Epstein case. Sorry, I don't see it. The uh, you, you can argue I'm not a fan of the webcam business. I don't recommend the webcam business, et cetera. But by all evidence I had seen, it was, in, again, from the women themselves, it was entirely legal, not coercive, not trafficking at all. Robert, and maybe, yeah. did we mention this last week? The Romanian court tossing their testimony on the basis that they were, in fact, exploited? Like two, two of the women who were allegedly trafficked or whatever came out and said, no, we weren't. We don't think we were. And they had court-appointed expert psychologists come in and say, it's Stockholm Syndrome. They were exploited. They just don't know it. It's, it's, it's classic uh, victim uh, brainwashing, which I could understand under certain circumstances. But my goodness, when is the court Not just going to come in and make the case? Yeah, exactly. And so the uh, and my concern was that also people trying to profit off of it. I mean, you had uh, some lawyers who got wealthy and got off the Epstein related cases. And there's a natural incentive in that space to expand the definition and throw people into that pot, much like the Me Too environment that went way past what was legitimate trafficking or legitimate Me Too cases, like the Nick Carter case we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. So uh, my concern is that she was starting to be a bad faith actor in the space. Then people start pointing out all the contradictions in her story, that she claimed she had a halfway house for victims. There was no evidence that actually existed, that she was doing all this work with victims. Not a lot of evidence that that happened. Uh, a lot of claims that uh, she had never raised money off of this and then evidence that she had. A lot of evidence, apparently the daughter of a, uh, a reasonably prominent Illinois state politician, evidence that she had sort of masked and hidden from people. No real evidence of actually being trafficked within the legal meaning of being trafficked. The Daily Beast did a story on it. Now, I'm not a fan of the Daily Beast, so I'm not going to cite them a lot, but they did raise some questions and issues. But mostly what got everybody agitated in the, in the content creator cultural space, culture commentator space, was all the banning was weaponizing her relationship with Elon uh, Musk and Twitter, um, which Elon was in the middle of trial. So in his response to you, he was like, I'm a little busy at the moment. Uh, you know, I'll try to get back to it. Um, but the, they're trying to take millions from me at the, at the time being, uh, which was true at the time. Um, but that his the relationship with other people uh, there, including my former client and someone I, I still think is an adorable human being, even though she's blocked me on Twitter, uh, uh, Cassandra Fairbanks, and now Cassandra McDonald. I also represented her husband for free. Uh, the uh, you know uh, uh, you get interesting things sometimes from folks, but you know she now books for Tim Pool. Uh, Tim Pool ended up blocking the quartering on Twitter, which is a little strange. Um, uh, Cassandra handles a good amount of the booking there, and she was being very defensive of Eliza Blue. Uh, Cassandra originally blocked me because I was raising criticism on behalf of Kyle Rittenhouse. You interviewed last week. Sweet kid. Great yep. kid. People should and uh, look at, uh, you know, he's having to raise money because everybody's trying to sue him into oblivion. And I won't comment on that, Judge, because I'll get into trouble. I have cases in, in front of him, but I'm not a fan. Let's put it that way. Uh, he knows that. And I know that's not, that's not news, but any, I can't say anything else beyond it. They'll be citing it right away in, in the court pleadings. Well, Barnes said. Bobby Barnes. Bobby Barnes said something on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, with this crazy Canadian. 
Um, but the, the net effect of it is she tried to get a bunch of people banned. Uh, now he's even trying to get YouTube videos struck, uh, the, including YouTube video that she doesn't have a legal right to. She's misusing her, her status as a perceived trafficking victim uh, to weaponize any criticism of her activities and her past and any misrepresentation she's made in that context. Now, the Twitter, to its credit, did finally reinstate the quartering um, and, and, and saw that. I would say just word of the wise out there, as you pointed out. There's people I would antagonize in the world. Uh, I would not go after the cultural commentator community. As a, Ask Jack Murphy how that turned out. Uh, he kept threatening uh, Nick Ricada and threatening the quartering, and now everybody remembers him for one thing, and it involves him putting things into his body in an undesirable manner for most human beings. Um, so I think that Eliza and her allies have done very poor work here. I have serious questions about their, her entire backstory. I think there should be more criticism from the conservative space over the misapplication. We should not allow the trafficking issues to be misappropriated by people who want to use it for their personal grift, whether that grift is fame or money, and diluting and diminishing the meaning of that term to such a degree that people will then be skeptical, uh, like the boy who cried wolf, of legitimate trafficking concerns and complaints. And I think that's who Eliza has become by her the censorship by her and her allies at Twitter uh, and others. Other people have clearly libeled and tortiously interfered, in my view. It's Eliza's allies that, in my view, have tortiously interfered and libeled other people, like Brittany Venti, like the quartering, like these other folks. Um, but I told the quartering, as good as his research is, with his crowdsourcing of investigative information, that uh, I should I should employ him as an investigator, and he said he would work for cigars. So I think we'll have a deal coming soon. <laughs> Just but, so long, uh, uh, let, let me let me make my dirty joke. Just so long as the cigars are only smoked. Um, okay, Robert, uh, that's that's the latest there for anybody who who, who didn't know and the issues. Um, now, coffee dot coffee isn't that it's coffee dot coffee brand or something is so if you want to support the quarter and going through all this. Uh, he actually has he actually has he makes good uh, good good coffee. Has even a Valentine package you can give. That's the core. I, I don't know what the link is, but go, you can check it out on the quartering. Would that be um, a good val uh, Valentine's gift, Viva Valentine's gift uh, for, coffee? for your wife, or would your wife be not impressed? Uh, I, should, I, I well, she got it for you. Would it be a good gift? We the coffee would get consumed. I think I like gifts that get consumed are good gifts, or the gifts that produce fruits. Like I get tomato plants for her every time. That's those are the best. The gifts that keep on giving. Uh, but Robert, actually, now that you mentioned, hold on, I'm going to put the link to uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse um, interview without getting into the judge, Robert. That kid, you get to meet him in person. He's, he's, he's just a he's just a it's what he you, told Nick Ricada. I'm just a dude. Uh, but isn't he one of the sweetest human beings you've ever met? Robert, he, he's he's a 20 year old kid. And but for what happened, but for what we know that he did, he would be like the most, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Not nondescript. He, just a kid. He's 20 years old. And you realize he's 20 years old. Let's just say he has 12 years of conscious life. I don't think people have memories earlier than eight years old. Four years of his 12 years of conscious life have been the events of Kenosha. He's a kid who has had for the better part of his conscious life absorbed into one event that has defined him as to who he is. And I'm asking him questions like, what are, you, what are you doing? What do you do for fun? I'm putting the link so everybody can go watch it if you haven't seen the interview. He's like, I like to play board games and hang out with friends. I'm a 20-year-old kid. And this event has basically, you know, crafted the way I can go out or can't go out and made life, you know, what it is. But he's being sued, Robert. Uh, we talked about this. It's I get mixed up when we do things on Freeform Friday. 
he's being sued for wrongful death by Huberman, the 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 Huber, Anthony Huber, the the, the skateboard guy, by I his think family, his father, right? Yeah, by the father. Um, it's a different bur- it's a different standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So a higher burden in criminal versus civil. O.J. Simpson got acquitted criminally, but convicted or found guilty civilly. Um, what do you make of the chances of this? I mean, they made a motion to dismiss for a procedural basis that he wasn't served properly. I, I, I would disregard that basis. But then he made a, you know, a motion to dismiss. Uh, and it's the dismissal. The motion to dismiss was dismissed and it's proceeding to discovery. Or, or would you be scared in, in Rittenhouse's shoes as the defendant uh, in a hostile world of uh, jurors who might not like him? Well, I mean, he definitely needs good legal counsel. The, the court he's in front of, that particular judge is a very unreliable judge, in my opinion, when it comes to matters of law. I thought much of the case should have been dismissed. I thought they didn't allege sufficient grounds to hold him uh, responsible. The same federal court, if if you'd made those allegations against certain government actors, would quickly dismiss. Yeah. Put it that well, way. But, but they would have dismissed maybe on uh, qualified immunity and not... Uh... They might have framed it or phrased it in that way, but I wouldn't... Um... Yeah, I won't go any further. But okay, fine, fine. I, I don't like the. I think the case should be dismissed. I don't think there's any merits to the case whatsoever. But there's always risk when you have a judge who would uh, allow the case to go forward, and there's always risk when you you have a a, a a Milwaukee jury pool, predominantly Milwaukee jury pool. So in the Eastern District of Wisconsin, um, now the so yeah, that those are his two risks. So that's why he needs competent, capable counsel. Uh, that's why he's he has a he has a give send go that people can continue to support. Uh, that that's what to pay for his legal cost. And the there's the prior funds that he had received that are also going to that. For those asking, no, I, I never asked for or received a penny uh, for the work that I did on behalf of Kyle, nor would I. Uh, but there are other lawyers who are doing that work for him in those cases who do need to be uh, compensated uh, for their work uh, to make sure Kyle gets the best representation. I think it's a case that shouldn't be allowed to go forward, but it is. I think if the plaintiffs were smart, they wouldn't focus on Kyle. They think the police did bad acts. They think the police conspired to do bad acts. Well, then focus on the police. Uh, it's a mistake to drag in Kyle because Kyle is not guilty of anything that they're accusing him of, and it undermines the rest of their claims. But but not just, I mean, I didn't want to ask this question to Kyle in particular, but I, I think we all know the answer. I mean, he, he's pro- not probably not judgment proof, but he probably doesn't have that much assets to begin with. Like what he's raising for legal right. fees is going to be spent on legal fees. So they get a $5 million judgment against Rittenhouse. Kid's a kid, doesn't have any money. I mean, he can he can bankrupt himself out of that judgment, or would that be a judgment that depends on the nature of a judgment in terms of bankruptcy? So, mm-hmm. like punitive damages and certain intentional claims, you can't bankrupt out of. So that basically would be kind of a cloud over his financial life for a decade or so. It, and it depends on which state you're in as to the collection remedies available. Some states have different uh, limitations on, on what can be recovered and when it can be recovered. Um, but it's a substantial financial risk to his uh, immediate short-term uh, future. Okay. And uh, Mahuyo, $5 Romeran says, it's coffeebrandcoffee.com. That's it. And then... Coffeebrandcoffee.com. Coffeebrandcoffee.com. And then Munchlax77 with a $5 Romeran says, you know what would be good? You know what would go with some coffee brand coffee? Some milk, Robert. Oh, Amos yeah. <laughs> if you want milk. Uh, there's a reason I'm here in Pennsylvania, other than the federal case I'll talk about here in a second. 
is to go down to Amish country and continue to organize the defense for Amos Miller. A bunch of folks have been ordering food from AmosMillerOrganicFarm.com, best milk in the world, in my opinion. Um, like I said, that milk was so good, people thought uh, Barnes was doing lines of coke. <laughs> The, uh, it, like, where, where's all that energy come from? It's Amos Miller Organic Farm.com, fresh milk. But the people order the cheese and the ice cream and the bison and the buffalo. And everybody's, everybody I've been seeing lots of feedback is that it's some of the best food they've ever had in their lives. We're trying to make it so that, you know, there can be real food freedom in America. So I'll be continuing to be meeting with the uh, leaders in the community down there. But, you know, you, you know what you don't see amongst Amish children? Uh, this I'd is a good have. transition into the big tech suit. Oh, yes. You don't see sky-high rates and rising rates of anxiety. You don't see sky-high sky and rising rates of depression. You don't see sky-high and rising rates of, of bodily of self-harm. You, you, you don't see any of the mental health crisis that so many young people in America are facing. And credit to the Seattle School District, no less, for bringing a massive uh, action against big tech, including Meta, Facebook, and Instagram, including Alphabet, Google, and YouTube, including TikTok, saying that what these companies have deliberately done is created a product they knew would addict young people, children in particular, and that and they knew was causing them was causing and creating this mental health crisis that has been very costly for the school districts directly. So they brought suit on public nuisance grounds. I'm a little worried about this use of public nuisance because I've seen it used in the tobacco context, the opioid context, and the climate change context. Some of those, I thought, I thought in the tobacco and opioid context, there were legitimate grounds to do so, even if it was getting a little bit iffy as to how far. It's just so easy to use nuisance claims for politicized purposes. It makes me a little nervous when I see that be the primary premise of their legal claim. But I do agree with the facts of their legal claim that big tech has caused deliberately and intentionally a uh, mental health crisis in America. This is the first of many suits likely to come. And they point out Section 230 provides no immunity. They're not suing for libel. They're not suing for defamation. They're not suing for any of that. They're suing for the deliberate choices of big tech to harm our children. What I understand is the crux of the lawsuit, uh, because uh, there's a few of them. One of the, I think it was another class action, is that they're saying that the algorithm is this a case in which they're saying the algorithm is not the product or is not a product? Um, it, it's uh, partially. I mean, what they're claiming is basically the big tech designed their product to addict kids, number one. Number two, to manipulate their neuropathology so that they would use the big tech products more often. But while knowing, number three, that the combination of the addiction, the combination of the neuropathic changes they were inducing by creating such user attention would have the effect of increasing, uh, of creating a mental health crisis for children in America. And they didn't care because they thought they would line their pockets. Anymore. And this was, I forget who the, who the guy was from Facebook. What was his name? Oh, there's a bunch of them. I mean, the, and this, if people want to see a good documentary on this, there's a whole bunch of whistleblowers in this movie called the, I think it's the called the creepy blue thread, creepy line, some creepy blue line. Someone may remember in the chat, uh, either at Rumble or at Locals. Um, it was a really good documentary that I knew some of this, but it was only watching that. I was like, holy cow. Um, I had seen it in, in, in generations of people. 
And I didn't realize just how horrifying it was. And these are people who felt very guilty about ever being associated with the creation of the product. But these are some of the foundational engineers. And, and what they pointed, there's some little parts of it that you know go a little too political. But if you exclude those parts, the data was unbelievable. That the more you, you oh, the creepy line, that's it, the creepy line. I'm, I was trying to you, find it. Yeah. They, okay, good. I might watch that with my kids. For finding it. The, uh, where everybody, vivabarnslock.locals.com, where everybody is above average, like the uh, Garrison <laughs> Keeler's Lake Wobegon residents. Uh, and even, even the trolls are above average. And of course, you have to pay the toll if you want to troll at vivabarnslock.locals.com. But it's it's a really it's I, I want to see more people bring these suits and from everybody I've ever heard because it could be the end of big tech power when people when jurors hear what, the horrifying nature of what big tech deliberately chose to do it makes big tobacco and the big opioid big pharma opioid makers look like small change uh, in terms of the horrors they have visited upon an entire generation the only worst criminals are probably Pfizer. Well, maybe you could say in certain parts Tyson Foods, but they unfortunately suffered a little hit in the stock markets this week because uh, they're uh, they they're, uh, certain of their earnings went down, and it couldn't happen to anybody better. Uh, Robert, that's all I gotta say. Well, hold on. Speak of the devil, I'm not gonna play the music because first of all, the song was stuck in my head. Let's just play it without. Uh, no, let's let's play it without audio for a bit. This was the Satan, the satanic ritual at um, the Grammys last Grammys, week, right? Yeah, and we'll wait for the punchline. Here's the punchline. You know, Satan worshiping. Oh, so that makes perfect sense. Of course, the devil brought to you by Pfizer. I, and Which, I put, I, I tweeted out to Albert Burla. like, you know, when people used to say that, the, you know, you guys are a, a Satan worshiping cabal, I thought they were being hyperbolic, but then I saw this. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, Albert Brula has not yet ever replied to me, but he has yet to block me. So there's that. I know he sees it. I, with his traffic, I know that he sees me. Um, Robert, so... Uh, well, that's have, a good transition into, you know, what can anybody do anything about vaccine injuries? And the big hurdle to overcome is the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness or PrEP Act makes it extremely difficult for anybody to sue and that's what we're going to have to overcome. Because what happened is, after 9-11, by the way, then the anthrax scare, uh, which may have been, let's say, questionable in terms of where it really came from, who was really involved. Of course, Robert Mueller was infamously involved in falsely blaming maybe certain people and misattributing it to others. But it was used as a predicate to create a special immunity if a pandemic ever hit, and that any covered countermeasure under the law, uh, nobody could be sued for it, not for creating it, not for using it, not for giving it to people, not for administering it, not for recommending it, not for promoting it, nothing, nada. There's a misapprehension out there that as if you can prove willful misconduct, you can get around it. Not if you dig into the law, the procedural requirement is that the U.S. Attorney General agree with you. So if, unless the U.S. Attorney General agrees with you about willful misconduct, nothing you can do about it. I have the biggest, uh, maybe arguably the biggest whistleblower case in history uh, on behalf of Brooke Jackson against Pfizer over the COVID vaccine. 
and the, their Pfizer is going to great lengths to prevent the court from allowing any discovery in the proceedings so far successfully and are seeking dismissal of the claim on the grounds that nobody can do anything. And the U.S. government in that case is on Pfizer's side. So um, right now there's almost uh, uh, what we're looking at is can you bring a workers' compensation claim if your employer mandated? Can you bring an assault claim or battery claim if your employer mandated and caused injury? Can we bring a claim? Can there be criminal investigations under state law, like the Georgia grand jury? Could they indict people because criminal state proceedings would appear to be outside of the PREP Act's immunities? Could we bring uh, uh, other key TAM whistleblower claims under state laws that are analogous to the claim we already brought for Brooke Jackson and other state jurisdictions? Um, we have whistleblowers stepping forward from all around the world who are detailing frightening information that Pfizer knew about its clinical trials in, in many locations around the world and hid it from everybody. It involves spy agencies and other people as well. Can't get into detail beyond that, but if you're one of those people who witnessed it, again, continue to feel free to communicate with us and we'll continue to add those people to the whistleblower claims. But right now, and, and we're looking at whether we could challenge the PREP Act's immunity as unconstitutional, as a violation of the right to remedy, violation of the right to due process of law, violation of the right to trial by jury, a range of issues. But right now, it's very tough. Well, I mean, I, I'll ask the stupid question. How is it obviously not a violation of, of, of certain rights? I mean, you have two entities who are the involved, at least one of them, potentially the criminal element contracting your rights to sue away, even in the event of fraud or malicious willful conduct, unless one of the other contracting unindicted co-conspirators, you know, using that word as a joke, decide to let you sue. Like, how is that not a fundamental violation where you become, you become a, 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 a property of the government? They can do with you what they want. Exactly. It's what they did with nursing homes, right? Where they, Gave you know the, the the governors would issue orders for the nursing homes to do certain things. Gave the nursing homes immunity if they did those things. The nursing homes took steps that frankly led to the deaths. I've had many people uh, make inquiries to me whether they could take remedy for their grandmother or grandfather dying because of mismanagement of the COVID pandemic response by nursing homes. And the answer is most of the time no, because they created this circular press. You can't sue the government because they have immunity. And the government made sure the drug company or the nursing home or the hospital or the doctor has immunity. And to me, it is a violation of core constitutional rights. And we're looking at ways we can try to challenge it and contest it and be creative in doing it. Also looking at other potential lawsuits, securities, class actions, maybe one example, because it appears Pfizer and Moderna misled and misrepresented people. But two cases that are being brought around the globe that may be of assistance, and actually a third that may be coming, for uh, Japan and the Children's Health Defense here in the United States has brought suit, Japan against its government authorities that are in Japan, here Children's Health Defense against the Food and Drug Administration, because they requested basic information, which is, for example, the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control have to have standard operating procedures for how they handle the vaccine adverse event reporting system, popularly known as VAERS. This is, according to the FDA itself, their alert signal that there may be problems with a particular drug or vaccine, especially. Uh, that's why it's called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. They are required under those procedures to investigate, required to apply certain analytics and do a deep dive on the data. 
required to interact uh, with a range of agencies and individuals to make sure there's a full investigation to vet the facts. There's evidence that's come out that they have done so. So Children's Health Defense said, we would like to see the these results. And the response of the FDA was to claim all of it's hidden, all of it's attorney-client privilege, all of it's interagency memos. They couldn't, like our coming suit against the Federal Reserve on behalf of George Gammon, everything somehow magically couldn't be accessed, read, or reviewed, or even searched or, or disclosed. So credit to Children's Health Defense. They have brought a Freedom of Information Act claim, much as Dell Bigtree and Aaron Seary brought a claim on behalf of the High Wire against the FDA earlier in the year in North District of Texas that exposed a lot of facts. That's where Pfizer tried to ask for those hit facts and the FDA asked for those facts to be hidden for 75 years. Now we have a parallel action on those issues in Japan. And it appears that one of the members of the royal family of Thailand uh, took, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, now this is the um, president of Thailand's uh, eldest of three daughters who apparently was supposed to be the heiress to the, to the country. Um, I haven't seen any independent confirmation other than some trustworthy uh, sources saying that she suffered the, uh, a, a cardiac incident on December 23rd, give or take, while training her dogs. 44-year-old woman, it's, it's typically, it's totally normal. People are saying it was three weeks after her booster or her third booster, or they're saying the third shot, which means the booster. But I haven't seen any independent evidence of that other than trusted journalists saying it. So do, do you know what the, what the basis of that is? Is it insider knowledge or is there a picture of her on social media? No, the original source was someone that you could trust probably had access to that information, but the government of Thailand has not formally announced that. Okay. Uh, but it's not like a huge shock that too many people took this, too many prominent, famous, successful people took this, are now suffering the adverse effects of it, and that they have that that's going to ultimately reap a whirlwind, to quote Billy the Kid or uh, Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid from the film. Uh, time to reap the whirlwind. I think Pfizer is going to start reaping that whirlwind. And they, they, and the question is, how long will the U.S. government, including our federal courts, cover for them? How long will they hide for them? How long will they protect them? Uh, uh, that will be the only question left, in my view, because sooner or later, the peasants will have pitchforks and the, and the politicians are going to have to answer to the people. And Robert, you know, uh, I interviewed Stephanie DeGarry yesterday about her daughter, Maddie DeGarry, who we heard of briefly in the early days of the rollout and then didn't hear from again. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the children's trials, which come after the adult trials, why they would have been doing a children's trial for this in the first place for a demographic at statistically virtually no risk whatsoever by all objective metrics. 2,000 kids, 1,000 would get the placebo, give or take. Um such a small cohort to begin with, and then to just bury uh, Maddie's incident, which would be one in the 1,000 who got the actual uh, dose, which itself is statistically not insignificant. I, I made the joke, like, why even bother doing the trials if they're going to be done like that? Why not just pretend that they've been done? I mean, do they have to go through enough sort of like uh, fake it so that they can then pretend that they did it properly? Or is were they just hoping that they would do 2,000 kids, only 1,000 get the jab, and by all statistical metrics, nothing should happen even if it's a bad drug, uh, and then something happened and they have to bury it? Why even do the trials on such a small scale to then run with uh, the emergency use, author emergency use authorization? Just enough to give themselves cover to be able to push it through as, as it would appear to be the case. What we know is Pfizer's terrified of discovery. 
because they have demanded the uh, judge in the Brooke Jackson case not allow us any discovery. And when I was critical of the judge's decision to do so as a wuss decision, the judge voiced criticism of me for calling it a wuss decision. It was a wuss decision. Still is. The federal courts need to wake up. Uh, They are asleep. They are continuing to enable these corrupt big drug companies, big pharma, to commit some of the worst crimes in the modern era without consequence. And uh, you, you, you don't have to see many of the stories like the one uh, you, the, that she told on your on your interview to realize the horrors of this. Um, and, you know, the courts are going to look bad if, if they don't take remedy, if they don't allow the law to work for itself. They don't hold big pharma to the same standards. They hold everybody else. Uh, you know, we'll see uh, what happens. But, you know, I'm hopeful that the court in uh, uh, will will let the law rule and and let discovery take place and let us proceed and my guess is that it will reveal that Pfizer that that it goes even deeper and darker than we could ever imagine I'm just looking up to see what the latest stats are it seems to be over 85 percent of the people in Thailand have received that that's old so it's from December um, just what, what the chances are or what the information is that allows people to say she, she had just gotten the booster 20 some odd days earlier in still in a coma. Now, do you think, uh, do you think they're the, uh, whatever the, the Royal family, do you think the, the government of Thailand is going to act on this or are they going to strike some sort of a deal with Pfizer behind closed doors and not take it any further? They might, it really depends on how personal things are. I mean, like we now know part of the Elon Musk's red pilling of a kind on a range of topics, including censorship, was that he himself felt adverse events from the vaccine and that he had relatives suffer severe adverse events from the vaccine. That was the risk to pushing this, that, you know, the, that, and to pushing this so widely and so broadly, um, that, that there would be people who took it, maybe certain people in the white house might've been getting Celine shots, but the, a lot of other people took it, um, and the uh, and that they would suffer the adverse events from doing so. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, like right now, the only person being put on trial for any of this is somebody who did the right thing, which was the which was the medical personnel in Utah, whose whose patients asked him to do the keep his uh, Hippocratic oath to first do no harm, and uh, not in- inject them with the vaccine. And now he's being criminally indicted by the Biden administration for his actions. And it's like, who, who did he harm? He did exactly what his patients wanted and exactly what was the right medical step to do. Uh, yet that's who's being targeted rather than Pfizer by the Biden administration, who is trying to prevent them, prevent our whistleblower suit brought by Brooke Jackson, but on behalf of the entire people of America from even being allowed any discovery in the case. So the, uh, we can't have much confidence. Sadly, the Biden administration will ever do the right thing, but hopefully the House investigation committees, they've said they're going to investigate this. Governor DeSantis has said that the grand jury in Florida is authorized to criminally investigate this. We'll know. We'll know pretty soon. If those committees or if the uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, grand jury isn't, and the people running it on the prosecutorial side are not reaching out to the Brooke Jacksons of the world, then we know they're not sincere. That It's a political show. Uh, if they are sincere, then they will be reaching out to the Brooke Jacksons of the world. And there's other whistleblowers she knows and others know that uh, reveal even more damning information to come about what Pfizer knew and when they knew it 
about the dangers of this vaccine. And, and what they could not have not known, because you listen to the Maddie DeGarry story and they it's like they have their fingers in the ears and they're singing, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. But they know it. FDA knows it. And I want to know if Albert Bourla knows the name Maddie DeGarry. And I was just looking up something just to make sure. You just imagine, by the way, Justin Bieber and his wife within a three-month period, his wife gets a brain clot uh, in March 2022. Justin Bieber gets Hunter... What was it called again? Uh, oh, the Hunter... It's Ramsey Hunt syndrome. The, with, within three months, the two of them suffer uh, just random stuff. And and you know the, the, the joke on the internet is, that, you know, they either got a bad, you know, the joke is they got a bad batch or they should have been taking the saline solution and they, you know, they, they, they didn't do it. Same bad joke with the princess of Thailand. I mean, it's, it's. It, and some of these people that have suffered severe adverse events have been publicly displaying it to people. And then they have to deal with schmucks like Alex Berenson, um, who I've, you know, Robert Malone called him controlled opposition. It's my own view. That, uh, that doesn't mean he hasn't done very good work in certain contexts. He has, but he often uses his role to gatekeep out any opinions and any people he doesn't like, whether that's Robert Malone, Peter McCullough, Alex Jones, anyone else. But he went out of his way to be critical of people describing some of the horrible side effects they felt from this vaccine, which reveals how the degree to which the man is controlled opposition and is a reminder what an utter schmuck he is. So if he brings any suits, don't support it, don't fund it, don't back it. It's a waste of time, waste of money, waste of effort, effort because he's an unreliable, untrustworthy narrator. He'll probably send me another email next week threatening to sue me. Go ahead, you'll end up paying my legal fees. I was going to say the the Jewish Zionist Barnes is now dropping the schmuck bomb twice in one stream. Um, okay, uh, that's now no, speaking uh, of, uh, of of some celebrities that are in trouble uh, for a more uh, casual transition into a less consequential topic. The one and only Logan Paul got sued over uh, his own involvement in a crypt- alleged crypto scam. This is the one that Coffeezilla had done the the multi part series on, where they designed some. And NFT with an egg, and and they they started. Someone ran off with the code, and then they that people had already started buying this thing. Robert, I don't understand crypto. All I've ever done with crypto is lose money on it. Um, but it was, I guess, this was just written in the stars because they had sold, people had invested, and um, they never delivered anything. And he promised to deliver the product that would go with these little eggs that they were selling. In as much as I don't understand it, um, what, how, ex- explain it and try to make sense, make it make sense for those who are thick like myself. Well, what's interesting about this one is they're not pursuing the securities type claims that we saw against FTX and some others. So in some other claims, they're trying to piggyback off of the Securities and Exchange Commission, trying to expand its scope of authority to get into the crypto space. Library had some success defeating some of SEC's claims against it. If anybody wants to see how bad the government is to deal with, just follow Library's tweets about the topic. And they talk about how they spent millions of dollars to comply with the SEC, and all the SEC did was was use that compliance against them and uh, and use it for adverse and nefarious purposes. You just sadly can't trust the SEC. And a lot of people in the crypto space are recognizing that and realizing that. But what uh, happened here is... And some might speculate that this was deliberately done to undermine the efficacy and popularity and network adaptability of Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is a decentralized, open source crypto, very different from a lot of these other 
closed source, uh, centralized crypto systems and meant to confuse the average person in such a way that Bitcoin could not be the possible threat to the money monopoly of the central banks that they uh, that they would like to maintain. That would be at least an alternative hush-hush uh, version of events. Uh, there was a, we uh, put up a couple of hush-hushes this past week. One controversially on the Freemasons. I knew that would be controversial. Uh, but uh, another one uh, uh, on, on some other fun topics, including the assassination of Huey Long and how it might be related to the assassination of John Kennedy. Uh, uh, when they killed the kingfish, they, they might have repeated the template a few decades later. But uh, basically, Logan Paul started CryptoZoo, and the lawsuit claims here not any securities-based claims. It's breach of contract, fraud, deceptive practices. Uh, and so I think it's a more practically rooted theory. Now, there is an additional allegation, a cause of action of civil conspiracy. And I would wish lawyers would quit making this mistake. Conspiracy is a means by which you are liable. It is not a separate cause of action. Well, you have to you have to attach a cause of action to the conspiracy that is to commit that infraction. You've taught exactly. me well, Barnes. The, the allegation is called fraud. And then one of the ways you say, well, this person's responsible because they aided and abetted the fraud, or they conspired to commit the fraud. That's a means by which they're liable, but it's not a separate tort. Uh, that was in the, in this case, too. Uh, they separate, alleged it as a separate tort. But beyond that, the, the, the suit has some said, basically calls it a rug pull. And the allegation is that basically they had already bought a lot of these, crypt, a lot of these crypto tokens. Then they go out and promote the heck out of it, wait for it to reach its early peak, and then, and then sell out it. of their own positions and pull the rug from everybody. It, it, it was the pump and dump and, and, and Logan or Paul's defense was, I never sold, which all the, you know, if it were to be a pump and dump, uh, you just got screwed by not following through. But they were buying up all of the tokens secretly before publicly announcing the project so that when they announced it, everyone's going to be like, oh, whoa, let's go buy these tokens or whatever it is, goes up. And then those who had already bought 80% of, of, of it at a, at a uh, deflated price or an artificially low price, then get to sell it, jack it up. And then it ends up being worth nothing because it's all intangible nothingness. Yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. The, you know, maybe Logan Paul's good defenses. Maybe he didn't make any inaccurate representations. Maybe he sincerely believed they were going to develop the game that it was all about making this marketability and pro making this asset an actual asset of profitability. It's going to be tied to the Binance blockchain ultimately. But it's clear, generally, statements were made that didn't end up coming true and some people got rich off of it. And that usually is the combination for a class action. Uh, I'm going to read ARC Crime Attorney. First of all, I got I screen grab all of the Rumble Rants. Uh, uh, one day I'll get the app and we'll do them run in real time. But I read them live during a Locals exclusive at vivabarneslaw.locals.com sometime in the week. Uh, but ARC Crime Attorney, who is Little Rock from YouTube, says, You guys remember I lost my leg to COVID. My wife, out of fear from my illness, got the jab. She is now having the menstrual problems reported and has... Um, and has to have blood infusions due to low blood iron because uh, she's anemic, I guess, that, uh, as a result of it. It didn't interfere with your menstrual cycles until they admitted it interfered with your, your menstrual cycle. And you were a conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer for saying it a year and a half ago. And the Robert, that uh, Pfizer under executive in the undercover video that Project Veritas released because they released some more material this week is he explained the significance of that. His point was, if it could impact the menstrual cycle, it means it's impacting core parts to the Absolutely. body. Absolutely. It, 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 it can affect 
pregnancy. It can affect fertility. It can interfere with pregnancy. It goes into breast milk. It goes into the baby. And the anecdotes that, I, that I've heard, and not, not even internet anecdotes, like from people I know, it's just, it's, it's, it's gotten too much that people are saying, like, I, I just have to, you know, the stages of, of, of grief, there's, you know, you get, you get denial, you get anger, you have rage, and then you get re- resignation. And I think people are going to get to the stage of resignation because it's just, it's, it's monumental beyond anybody's wildest nightmares. Um, Robert. Uh, no doubt about it. But you talk about a nightmare beyond all nightmares. In our uh, big case series that we're going to be doing here episodically uh, on Law for the People, the Kim.com case is a case of nightmares. And I, I won't, I won't, it's not booked people, but I, I've gotten to meet Kim.com on Twitter in these spaces. I think he's going to come on one day to talk about it. Robert, g- give us the 30,000 foot. Because Kim.com, I remember back in the day, public enemy number one, fraudster, a liar, an online criminal, a pirate. Uh, and and I, I, I knew nothing of nothing. I didn't feel strongly about it. I just remember that's that's the impression that, that has been left with me. And when I listened to Kim.com talking, first of all, I never knew he was German, uh, living in New Zealand now, I think, from what I understand. Um, he's a smart guy. I mean, he's a smart guy. And now that I know that the media and the government has demonized everyone who happens to turn out to be the good guy and canonized those who turn out to be the bad guys, Bill Gates, just, you know, Burla, just to name a couple, I now view everything differently, but give it, give us the 30,000 foot overview. And then I'll see if we can clip this and get Kim.com to do a sidebar with us. Well, it's a case that has broad consequences for the entire globe. So that's why people should pay attention to it beyond its uh, example in the uh, persecution of Kim.com. So Kim.com is a kid from uh, a family that had an abusive father whose mother helped him escape. And like a lot of sort of nerds of his era of the 1990s, he found refuge in the Internet. Now, he got a little creative, as he himself has admitted, with the Internet and decided to try hacking a little bit here and there. Became a little bit famous for it. Uh, got a suspended sentence for a criminal charge for it. And he, but, he, but he wisely used it. He used that obstacle and turned it into an opportunity as a sort of McAfee-style business model of defending people against hacking. Built a successful business from that. He launched into several other businesses from there, ultimately leading to Mega Upload, which he found he had moved from Germany to Hong Kong at the time. And Mega Upload was how do you was the cloud before the cloud. It was the means to transfer files to anybody in the world to get access to any kind of documents beyond the walls of censorship a state may pr- provide. The, uh, it was very successful. He got married, uh, had a bunch of kids, moved uh, to New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand uh, kind of invited him there. Uh, that there was concern that because he'd had a prior conviction for the hacking activities back in Germany, that he might not be able to get a residency in New Zealand, but he did. And so uh, now during the same time period, the movie industry was going absolutely berserk in the United States, claiming that they were losing all kinds of profits from piracy of their films over the mega upload and other related Internet sites. This was after the music industry felt it was devastated by Napster and sued everybody into oblivion, including a bunch of grandmas who downloaded just a few songs. Now, there was always controversy about this because people who did an empirical economic assessment 
found that, in fact, sharing of pirated films does not reduce desirability or sales of those films, and that often it has a reverse effect, that it introduces films to people who otherwise wouldn't buy the film, who then become interested in the film, interested in other films made by the same director or on the same subject matter or made as a series or sequel series. And what happens is they go out and purchase those films. They go out and go to the Hollywood theaters. That a lot of the data refuted what Hollywood was claiming. But Hollywood then hired, after they'd hired Jack Valenti, if you want to hear some stories about Jack Valenti, go to America's Untold Stories with America, Mark Robert uh, or Eric, and Eric Conley, who will be with us in our Rat Pack style tour as we do uh, Viva Barnes Law around the country. And if anybody doesn't know, Mark Robert is to, I won't even limit it only to entertainment, he, to entertainment what Barnes is to law. And it's like, oh, yeah. Well, he has a great description of it, but uh, of the difference between us, uh, it, it involves uh, women uh, and, and numbers. I think <laughs> last I checked, but the uh, but yeah, the the great descriptions of Valenti. But after Valenti stepped down, Senator Chris Dodd, who was famous for let's say Me Too style parties in D.C., uh, be had stepped down from the United States Senate and become the lead representative of the movie industry. And in that capacity. He started to overtly, openly threaten the Obama administration and said, if people like, they were, he didn't say Kim.com's name, but it was clear who he was talking about, that if people like Kim.com were not criminally prosecuted and criminally punished, the movie industry would cut off all funding from the Democratic Party. He basically said this verbatim on CNN and other places. So he, this wasn't just what he was saying behind the scenes. He made it clear in front of everybody. The movie industry was extorting politicians to go after their, uh, uh, their, ad their economic adversaries through criminal by weaponizing the criminal justice process. Uh, what happened is Kim.com gets indicted. Kim, uh, he previously had a German name. He changed it to Kim.com. The man's a brilliant marketer and has been throughout his life and career. The uh, though, though he himself doesn't drink and doesn't actually engage in the wild parties that he throws for other people. Uh, the, uh, the, there's a, because of what he saw with his father with alcohol is why he doesn't touch a drink. The, but he's just a brilliant marketer. Uh, and the, all of a sudden he gets raided with a massive SWAT team raid, helicopters, the whole nine yards. In, uh, in New Zealand. In New Zealand, by the New Zealand police, families terrorized, wife is terrorized. They make a bunch of false claims. They claim he was hiding in a safe room with a sawed-off shotgun. There was no gun. The room wasn't locked. None of that was ever true. Uh, they had lied to get search warrants, to get information. Because here's the thing. All he's being charged with is that his users, that per subscribers of, me uh, uh, of Mega Upload, used it to share films without copyright uh, licenses to do so. That, that's it. And even though federal law in the United States is supposed to be clear that internet service providers can't even be civilly sued for, uh, for, the, con for the conduct of their users, uh, least of all be criminally prosecuted, there's the additional hurdle, which is uh, the, in New Zealand, there is no copyright crimes. This has now been recognized and admitted by the New Zealand high courts in the context of Kim.com's cases which have been everywhere and gone up and down the court system. Um, but so basically, and instead what happened is the FBI coordinated with the New Zealand authorities, 
They lied to the New Zealand authorities, told them that basically Kim.com is this big gangster. He's a, he's a mobster. He's organized crime connected. He's connected to terrorism. He's connected to child porn. Uh, he, he probably has a stash of crazy guns and security guards. There'll probably be a shootout if anybody goes in there. So they all these guys were jacked up to the nines, not knowing all of that was false. Mm-hmm. The FBI deliberately lied to the New Zealand authorities to induce a ridiculous raid for something that didn't violate New Zealand criminal law, and by my judgment, didn't violate United States criminal law based on a bogus sealed indictment they got because a grand jury in the United States will, in fact, indict a ham sandwich, as a federal judge once pointed out, if a prosecutor asked them to. So, uh, But it turned out to be even worse. After the raid, it comes out that first the search warrants were illicitly issued and granted. But there's a second issue. The police are being very evasive in the hearings being conducted. And what that reveals is that, in fact, the Five Eyes Network was involved in Kim.com's case. In other words, they were illegally spying on Kim.com in New Zealand all the way through. Spying on his text, spying on his phone, spying on his email. None of of this is remotely surprising now. Now that we've seen what the FBI has done, within the last five years, what the NSA has done within the last 10 years, none of it's a surprise. And, and so despite all, despite all of the spying, I mean, what, in, what things of incriminating nature did they even find? That was extraordinary. Instead, what they found was very little evidence. Now, here's the other thing that happened. So there's a legal seizure. They seize his cars. They seize his money. They seize his phone. They seize his computer. This is so you have a search warrant based on a crime that doesn't exist, based on lies told by the FBI. You have it executed in a manner that seizes only supposed to seize evidence of criminality, and they seize everything, not just evidence of criminality. Third, a court uh, in New Zealand finds it's illegal and violates their laws. And what does the New Zealand authorities do? They give it over to the FBI anyway, even though the FBI wasn't supposed to have access to it until its legality was determined. Then what does the FBI do with it? They go back before the New Zealand courts later and misrepresent what's done using New Zealand court officials to do so. They deliberately mistranslate it. And this is a classic game the governments love to pull. They'll get somebody to to translate something because what is it? Some of the communications were in German. And so what they do is they hire a translator and they create bogus interpretations of what the translation is. And one of the giveaways will be they don't identify the translator. So you can never call them to cross-examine their actual translation. So they falsely mislead the New Zealand courts and the New Zealand public into thinking Kim.com said things he never said with false translations put into the court. This is basically perjured false testimony that if I did it, they would put me in jail and never let me out. Yeah, or or if an FBI attorney had done it, they would give him a slap on the wrist and allow him back into the to the bar society a year later. Oh, sorry, with the, it was a suspended... Retroactive penalty. Uh, I'm talking about Klein Smith, by the way, guys. Yep. And so first the courts find it's an illegal search, goes up to the New Zealand Supreme Court. A lot of political pressure is clearly being brought on that court publicly by the U.S. authorities. And all of a sudden the New Zealand uh, high court decides, oh, it's okay to do illegal surveillance. It's okay to do illegal searches. The New Zealand government retroactively changes the law to allow the surveillance to occur. The New Zealand prime minister misleads people to thinking he had no idea what was going on. Because it appears behind the scenes that what was going on, but for which the government of both New Zealand and the U.S. continues, I believe, to hide, 
is that they deliberately gave Kim.com New Zealand residency with the intention of spying on him in New Zealand and, and arresting and seizing him in New Zealand, that they didn't want him in Hong Kong because they didn't think they could get away with the same illicit behavior. So they gave him even his residency under false pretenses that likely implicated the prime minister. Uh, Kim.com started a political party to try to raise the issues about it. The media just continued to attack Kim.com. So it wasn't as successful as he wanted it to be. But he brought together Glenn Greenwald, Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, educated the New Zealand populace that this was a very different topic and subject matter than they thought. I mean, the reality is the government just picked on the wrong guy. That They picked on a guy who wasn't willing to roll over and go gently into that good night. Uh, and even though it ended up costing him his marriage because uh, his wife, you know, most people don't recover easily from the shock of an early morning raid uh, with, you know, AKs and other automatic weapons being pointed at your face for nothing more than what was purely legal under New Zealand criminal law and as I can see, actually legal and protected under U.S. criminal law. Um, and so basically he's had to continue to fight the case. So the and the New Zealand high courts have been unwilling to provide the protection, legal protection that they should because they get easily intimidated by the United States. So at first he couldn't be extradited and the high courts say, yes, he can. Then it goes back, goes back up. First, the search warrants are found to be clearly illegal and they reinstate them anyway. They say the surveillance is illegal and they do nothing about it anyway. They let the fruit of the poisonous tree from the illegal surveillance, the illegal search warrants, the illegal searches to all be allowed in against them. They allow falsified fraudulent evidence to be submitted to the court, bogus translations. But the courts, the high courts have said that he's entitled to one more round of challenges and have admitted dual criminality doesn't apply, which means there should be no extradition. The New Zealand courts, sadly, are so weak, uh, so pitiful. I mean, I've, I've consulted on these kind of cases around the globe, UK, Australia, uh, New Zealand, other uh, Caribbean countries. And I've always urged the local advocates to directly confront the political reality of what these courts are doing. Say, here's how America perceives you. They perceive you as their little pet dogs that they will kick and you will come back squealing, begging for more that they see you as someone they can lie to and get rewarded for it. Not just not punished for it, rewarded for it. That they can violate your laws and you will do nothing about it. That you are a rubber stamp for the U.S. government. Uh, that, that's how the FBI, that's why the FBI lies to them. That's why the Justice Department lies to them. That's why prosecutors on in those foreign countries on behalf of the FBI and Justice Department lie. They know they will suffer no consequence. They know that the judges themselves are too politically afraid. to. They lack the courage of convictions to enforce their own laws. Because here's what dual criminality is. In almost every extradition treaty, you're not allowed to extradite someone to another country unless your laws criminalize the same conduct. Mm -hmm. If you're if you don't criminalize it, you can't send it. And it's in the and New Zealand courts have now admitted they do not criminalize copyright infringement. So recall it, calling it racketeering, calling it laundering, calling it, you know, any fraud doesn't apply when the only fraud, the only money laundering, the only racketeering alleged is copyright infringement and copyright infringement is not a crime. So the only question is, will the New Zealand courts ever have the courage to stand up to the wrongful conduct of the U.S. government in the context of the Kim.com prosecution? Now, two of, two of his partners struck a deal. Are they, uh, 
are they testifying? They let out, so he's the only one left. And does that have any negative impact? Is this like, uh, you know, two of the co-conspirators turning against the remaining third because all that the government really wants is Kim.com? Does their deal have any negative impact on Kim.com or are they just off scot-free? Well, I'm sure they're putting pressure. So the deal is that they they can only now be prosecuted under New Zealand criminal law. And again, the reality is that means they have to prove some form of fraud independent of and separate from copyright infringement. And they got zero evidence of this. I mean, here's the other evidence, what's, what's startling. When they dug into the evidence, in fact, Mega Upload offered no extra benefits uh, to people who were doing the pirating activity, which was the original allegation. was This was a designed model to get pirating. No, it wasn't. They, they, they didn't make any additional revenue whatsoever. If that was their goal, they would have done so. And they didn't. So it, the allegations against them were false from the inception. Um, but he's the only one that's been able to stand the test of time. He believes, as he's publicly stated, that those other people will be under massive pressure to make up stories about him uh, in order to facilitate the extradition of Kim.com. But he's uh, refused. They offered him sweet plea deals. He's turned them down. Uh, he, they've been offered other negotiated outcomes. He's refused. Uh, he's made clear that what he's he has done more. They picked on the wrong guy. It was a guy who was willing to fight back and use his resources to do so. Well, let, let, throw in the Seth Rich angle in all of this because the prosecution, or let's say the persecution, prosecution starts before Seth Rich. It's continuing to this day. Um, has it ramped up as a result of the allegations involving Seth Rich? And for those who don't know, Kim.com alleged that uh, he had evidence or could prove or was contacted by Seth Rich and that Seth Rich was the leaker of the DNC emails and it wasn't a Russian hack. Did he... Do, is there an argument that he made up those allegations as pressure to try to combat the lawfare or the lawfare doubled down after that fact might have been alleged uh, in order to punish him for getting that involved in, in U.S. politics? He's been unwilling to go gently into that good night. And he's aligned himself with Glenn Greenwald, Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, the belief in privacy, exposing illegal surveillance and illicit conduct and uh, made himself an open adversary of Hollywood. And that Hollywood, and that a lot of like, a lot of these pirated films were being shared in countries where those films were not allowed, right? I mean, so, and that his point is uh, that, you know, if you have a secure cloud mechanism, what it is is you're past the censors, you're past the, uh, whether those censors are the state or private corporations. And that that's how the law is really being weaponized currently. Uh, he was designing a system that would have given creators most of the profit from their own creations. That was a direct challenge to Hollywood uh, and to the music industry. Uh-huh. And so he has many powerful adversaries around the world. And rather than, you know, just retreat, he has uh, advocated for others who have exposed the misconduct and malfeasance of the surveillance state. All right, let's fast. It's fascinating. Um, it, it it makes you you've made it make a little more sense, but it makes no sense why they would involve get involved in in a decades long battle to take this guy down for what is at worst uh, video piracy. At worst, it, the, calling it Rico racketeering and whatever just gives it a scarier name. It doesn't make sense. You've made it make a little more sense. I tend to think that the doubling down might have had something to do with. What I now tend to think is probably more accurate information that he had some information about Seth Rich, which the world has not yet been able to answer, but we'll see. Um, Amazing. 
Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Now the, uh, I mean, in a uh, another sort of uh, case that everybody's following, uh, Nick Ricada, Emily Baker, the Murdoch mm-hmm. trial that is ongoing in South Carolina. Uh, I have increasing doubts about the guilt of Murdoch as to these murder charges based on the forensic evidence not really matching. Um, uh, Andrew Bronca and Nick Ricada and others have raised this comparable questions about it. And but the and I think the judge knows that, and I think the prosecutors know that. So the big issue this week uh, was whether or not the 404B evidence, and for those that don't know it, that's probably it the most consequential legal rule in trials in America. Evidence, character evidence, Robert. Other crimes, are, are we, I hope I brought up the right window. I did, good. That's it, that's it. I mean, it's the state version of that. Every state sometimes has the same exact rule, but it has some variation of the federal rule 404B. So uh, I, I have not been watching it at all. What What character evidence are they trying to bring up of I presume it's going to be other wrongdoings, embezzling money, yada yada. So he's a he's yep. an unsavory character who has guilty intent. The 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 uh, so for those people out there, the the fear is that juries will convict people not based on the evidence of the crime, but based on the evidence of their so-called criminal character. So it's sometimes called propensity evidence. You can believe he committed this crime because he's just a criminal. And we know that evidence to be unreliable. We know that method and premise of operation to be untrustworthy. So our rules of evidence exclude that. They say you can only admit evidence of other bad acts if those bad acts relate to, say, motive or something else pertinent to the actual acts mm-hmm. here. Uh, the, the evidence they produced is evidence that he was in financial trouble, that he allegations he defrauded clients defrauded partners, defrauded banks. Mm-hmm. They have not tied that in in a, any persuasive way that I could see to the killings here. There Would was it, no insurance on either the mother or the okay. son. There was no clear financial benefit. They tried to suggest, well, the mother uh, had some uh, priority over a particular property, but then it came out on cross-examination that actually the bank had priority anyway. So it the mother's financial interest would have had no impact on his renegotiation of that debt. So basically they haven't found any persuasive explanation in the rule because courts are so concerned with how jurors misapply propensity evidence, say, ah, you're a bad guy. I'm just going to assume you did this other bad act um, that they require the government to prove that the, that if the pro the probative material uh, materiality of the evidence substantially outweighs the problematic inferences of the evidence. And whether that's confusion, whether that's prejudice, however it may be raised, almost every lawyer I've seen comment on this across the political spectrum has said that based on what they saw, this evidence should not come in. But the court today apparently said, I just saw the headline, that yes, it all can come in. And that's a sign of a court that knows the government can't prove he's guilty so it's going to tell the jury he's a bad guy. So just convict him anyway. And, and the defense, um, I think they they raised, a, I don't know, a decent alternative theory. Like if anyone was going to try to seek revenge on the family for the, the wrongs that the kid had done earlier with the boating accident, it would be someone who's angry at that and not Murdoch himself. 
Um, as well as the forensic evidence. I mean, the evidence of other tracks being there, other shoe prints being there, of two different guns being used, of the manner and method of the execution, of the limited time frame. They, they have an OJ problem. Mm -hmm. uh, the OJ prosecutors had the same problem. They had a very limited time window <laughs> to explain a lot of forensic evidence that didn't fit. And Robert, we still have to do the we have to do the OJ special. I'm going to do it with a body language panel. In fact, uh, I'm going to try to see if sir, uh, if at various events when it's a, when it's useful, whether the body language people could join our Rat Pack, uh, uh, where it could be useful when we do these Viva Barnes Law locals events across the country, the tour, um, because I, I would be curious what they think of of some of the interviews of Murtaugh. They may cover it. I always say Murtaugh. Maybe it's Mur Murdoch. I, I've heard like three different pronunciations. Oh, his, his last name sounds too close to murder. Like it, it, it's it's Murdaugh the murderer. And I think of, isn't it uh, the Mel Gibson character from Lethal Weapon? I thought it was either Murtaugh. That was Murtaugh for sure. Not, not, not Murdaugh. But um... so maybe that's also why I get it confused in my head. But uh, I think it's probably this judge. People are just seeing how judges act. And sadly, uh, judges usually want convictions. They're usually authoritarians. I mean, I was just up here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in a case where my client got behind on taxes and tried to negotiate with the IRS, made payments to the IRS for many years. The IRS discovered he, in their view, had had some substantial success gambling. I don't think it was the success they thought it was, but it's because the IRS doesn't understand how casinos operate and how gambling operates. You take the same amount of money and you're gambling it over and over again. So, the, for example, I, there was a February in Vegas that I got the attention of a bunch of sports books owners who wanted to sit down and personally talk to me because I bet over gross volume over $2 million in a month on college basketball. Now, my individual bets were on average $500 a bet. I was just betting a very heavy volume. I had come into, some inf I had come into a system that looked like it was profitable, and I made a little bit of money. Uh, and that was, that's the goal. But I wasn't betting two million dollars. I was betting twenty thousand dollars. That was the bank. That was the bankroll. Um, now, here's what Vegas does. When you lose money, they don't send you a 1099 for that. They don't give you a special notice for that, nor do they want to. They don't want you to. They know that compulsive gamblers, especially uh, the way you can know someone's an obsessive compulsive uh, gambler. Uh, is uh, aside from having certain sort of up and down personality uh, psychologies, is mostly they will convince you that they win at games of pure luck. They will tell you they win at the slot machine. They will tell you they win at the roulette wheel. They'll, like the Vegas shooter, he claimed to people he won at video poker. No, over time, you do not. Not unless you're fixing the game. And good luck with trying to do that in Vegas. And so the uh, you get banned the best thing that can happen to you, that scenario is you get banned. There were other ways they handled it back in the day. Uh, you know, you show up in a barrel and Lake Mead's water goes down. The uh, so, but the so, you know, just so, but because they see he gambled, they think he had success. They decide to criminally indict him. We end up getting a plea negotiation deal, and I'm in front of the judge, and and the the some of the people. The prosecutor is very fair, says, you know, maybe a little bit of a custodial time, but really didn't think much time incarcerated would make sense. But the pretrial services people had wanted like five, six years. If I hadn't been involved in the case, he likely would have ended up doing seven, eight years in federal prison. 
He's a nice guy, good family man, five kids, good business. The business does good work. Everybody talks about him being generous. Never had any problems outside of the tax issues. And I'm in front of this judge and I'm trying to explain to him, I, I make reference to the tribal elder system that we should have a criminal sentence. Where I agree with my friends on the left is we have too many, we incarcerate too many people. We should have a criminal justice system that focuses on healing the community, not hurting the community. I'll never forget when I asked the tribal elder back when I was clerking for the tribal court system, trying to set up a tribal court system that non-tribal members and tribal members would like. Ultimately, the only people who liked it were non-tribal members. Tribal members all went to the tribal elders. And increasingly, non-tribal members did too. I was like, what the heck's going on here? Talk to the tribal elders and they explained, we look at every case, no matter what kind of case it is, as a chance to heal the community, to make the community stronger. We don't focus on the individual. Well, we don't become obsessed with what's just for the individual. We become what happens with what we do here. Will it help the community or hurt it? We focus on healing rather than hurting. Um, we focus on resolving pain, not inflicting it. Um, you know, in the uh, in a world where an eye for an eye exists, everyone ends up blind. Uh, and so made that point to the court that our incarceral justice system for nonviolent first-time offenders doesn't work. That if we lock people up, the, it increases the risk of recidivism. We mm -hmm. remove them from the community. We remove their ability to repay the debt. Well, or we tell them, you know what, for the next year, two years, five years, whatever, you're going to only affiliate and associate with other criminals. Does that even make sense? And yet, and when I'm in front of these courts, they just don't listen. They're obsessed with the, the news headline. They're obsessed with what they call, or they're obsessed with the individual justice in their minds. Uh, they have overwhelmingly authoritarian backgrounds, whether left or right. This is an Obama appointee I was in front of. And so, well, you know, he issued a two-year sentence, which if certain things happen, that can be reduced in a range of ways, may end up being more than, and a lot less than what he would have faced had someone else been his counsel or the case gone a different direction. But it was still frustrating because it's a failure of our federal criminal justice process. Um, we have a, we shouldn't be locking everybody up under the sun for every reason. In my view, the only people who belong in prison are those people who present imminent risks of danger to the community or for whom uh, vengeance is an appropriate justification of the results, um, which I think is very rare in limited circumstances. But when we lock everybody up, we get an incarceration, and it's where the left is partially right. An incarceral justice system has had a cancerous effect on our society and is net negative for the public good. Well, I think uh, many people would agree with you. Uh, they don't lock up the people who need to be locked up, and they lock up those who don't deserve it, thus only making criminals of otherwise non-criminals. And Robert, it might be the good segue into what will look like to be the last uh, item of our evening. The, uh, the guy named Harrison gets pulled over by the cops. Um, they smell marijuana in the car. They ask him to get out. They search the car. They find, oh, they see he's got an ankle monitor because he's on probation for aggravated assault in Texas. What state is this in again? I forget what state this is in. Oh, so it was a federal, a federal case brought in Oklahoma. Um, okay. and the, uh, I'll briefly talk about the two other cases that we were going to reference, but just briefly, a rent control case went before the second circuit on grounds that Rent control is so egregious now in New York that it equates to a due process and takings violation, taking without just compensation. Second Circuit refused, said as long as there's concerns for safety, it's delegated to the legislature, even if they take over 90 percent of your value of your property. 
that may go up to the U.S. Supreme Court to reassess rent control legislation Mm -hmm. in light of the eviction moratoriums as well that was put in by cities, counties, and states. Uh, Also, another case was pending in New York was what happens when a sex offender that's supposed to register an address is homeless. The court said that if he's homeless, he can't give you an address because that's void for vagueness because it doesn't define address in a way that he can comply. So, uh, which is interesting. It's an interesting exception to sex offending registration. They should probably change the law to reflect and represent that uh, in dealing with that. But the but it's also probably true that it is void for vagueness when they don't sufficiently define address in a way that homeless people can be put on notification as to how they can comply. They don't they don't pick a, a shelter within the within the a certain jurisdiction within a certain area. And then, they could have under the law of address, but uh, or if they had defined address that way, but they hadn't. They defined it in such a way that it, it could it would confuse a reasonable person in that mm-hmm. position. Um, but you're right. The big case, uh, okay. the, and we'll, we'll have other fun cases next week. You know, bartenders uh, that are being held responsible for it's a timeless case, Robert. The, 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 the crim- DUI, criminal it charges. Difficult. It's one thing to be civil. Now they're going criminal about these people, but uh, probably a lot of people didn't know. That federal law doesn't just prohibit people who've been convicted of a felony from owning a gun. They predict they were the under the Gun Control Act of 1968. They prohibit any user. You don't have to be intoxicated. You don't have to be addicted. Any mere user of anything that's considered a controlled substance. An unlawful user. Unlawful user. Right? Prescription. Uh, you don't have a prescription. You, you don't have some license to use it. Any unlawful use of any controlled substance means you no longer have any Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And the only reason most people don't know about this is most prosecutors don't bring prosecutions based on this. And so a kid gets arrested because he's previously used pot and had a gun in his possession. Well, according to the according to the decision, he had marijuana, or it looked like there was smoked marijuana. Smoked in the marijuana car. cigarette, but, but not that he was intoxicated at the time. They didn't. Well, test no, no, no. That's the, no, no field sobriety test, no nothing. And also, like I, I was just surprised that he was on probation for aggravated assault. So I presumed the basis for not allowing him to have to be in possession well, of a firearm. By the way, was, it turned out that was not true. In the footnote, the judge pointed out actually he was just on pretrial release for an accusation, but hadn't yet been uh-huh. convicted. Okay, innocent until proven guilty. Therefore, allowed to, allowed to own, own a firearm, except he was unlawfully in possession of marijuana or user of marijuana. And so they Just said, "Under that provision, requires." I mean, I'm sure people didn't. And not only that, it's not even clear that it requires contemporary use. It suggests that if you know, you could interpret the federal law that if you've ever used pot in your life, you are now prohibited from having Second Amendment rights. And I mm-hmm. think this was an attempt by the Biden administration to create a huge me a, a loophole to gut people's Second Amendment rights uh, because they would have likely continued to expand and expand and expand. Uh, because again, it didn't require conviction of a crime for illegal drug use. It didn't require you be intoxicated. The best historical analogy would be if you had ever been an unlawful user of alcohol not owning a gun. I mean, that, that's the public policy analogy over the broad course of history. And as the federal court pointed out, there's no such history at all in our laws. We've never done that. We've, we've often prevented intoxicated people from having a gun while intoxicated. But we've never said if you use alcohol or ever, been, uh, uh, ever illegally used it, such as would be the case with intoxication in certain instances, operated a vehicle, et cetera, uh, operating anything else. It, but we've never said because you've ever used something that you can 
not have your Second Amendment rights. And so the court dismissed the entire indictment and restored and gutted that entire uh, provision of the law, stopped the Biden administration from being able to weaponize this to strip us of peoples of their Second Amendment rights. And those who like their uh, their wacky weed, uh, who want to marry a Jew named Anna, as I used to say when I was a kid. Um, the, Sorry, hold uh, up. Stuff. Marry a Jew named Anna? Get it? Uh, marijuana. Oh, ma- <laughs> it was the kind of joke that that's basically my sense of humor it's a joke that takes you five minutes to figure out i would have but, ne- i would have never gotten it robert <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. it was my inside thing when i was like 14 the uh uh but so the if you ever done it ever partook uh you now have your second amendment rights restored it was my white pill case of the week Fantastic, Robert. And again, another, if I dare say so myself, another wonderful episode. Um, Mary, so someone saying, Rivka saying Mary Jane. I got that, Mary Juana. Um, Robert, who do we have sidebar Wednesday? Nina Infinity. So she interviewed me back a ways, a culture commentator uh, about, you know, mostly films and topics like that. She's also commented on the Eliza Blue aspect. So we'll, we'll talk about her experience in that. Her friend, Brittany Venti, who was subject to censorship related to it. Um, and, and then, you know, that Star Wars girl in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and this is, you know, continuing to expand the scope of the sidebars, interviewing interesting people with interesting stories, sometimes a political aspect, sometimes no political aspect, sometimes just an economist, historian, culture person. You know, we've we've covered Nerdrotic. Uh, we've talked mm-hmm. to Doomcock. We've talked to Jeremy and Geeks and game, Gamers. We've talked to Ryan at RK Outpost and Sports Wars. Uh, we'll talk to probably we talked to Kelly in Vegas about uh, sports gambling and sports betting and covering the sports world. We'll probably have some more people on about that. Uh, probably talk to Odin at some point of Odin's movie blog. Uh, you know, the uh, so we'll continue to expand and who we talk to. But Neen Infinity is great. And then after that, uh, we have the Duran up February 15th. And oh, that's going to be good. That, we'll and get some... after... Sorry, oh, and then ahead. after that, we'll have that, that Star Wars girl. Uh, and then after that, my brother will probably come on for an episode to discuss and answer people's questions about political philosophy more broadly. What is libertarianism? What is anarchism? What's this left limit libertarianism? Are there left and right versions of anarchism? What exactly uh, is the historical philosophical definition of Marxism? How is it applied or misapplied? What are the strengths and vulnerabilities of different ideologies over time? Uh, so sort of a, a little mini class in political philosophy uh, that uh, he'll be on to talk about that uh, he does on a regular basis. Too. And on my uh, your end, do you have any other appearances elsewhere this week? Uh, no, um, uh, I'll be back in Vegas, it looks like, later in the week. Uh, the But uh, I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania until... Uh, I think uh, early, I think leave early Wednesday back in time to do the sidebar. Might, okay. I might do the sidebar from Philly and then extend stay by Thursday. But at this point, uh, I'm on the road here in Pennsylvania. Perfect. And on my end, uh, I'll be live tomorrow, Thursday in studio with uh, Dave Rubin. So I'm going to be at locals. It'll be me and Dave. I, I think I'm fairly certain we booked it. It'll be like 2.30 in the afternoon. Uh, February 14th, stay tuned. A certain doctor. It's going to be a morning stream. Uh, a certain doctor will be talking... Uh, recent development. So all good things coming in here, people. Um, I'll check back in on the chat, vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Robert, thank you. As It's fantastic. And we'll be seeing each other in person sooner than later. I've got gifts for you. I've got fan mail and fan gifts for you that I've been keeping here for a while because I didn't want to mail them. So we'll get that to you. Everybody in the chat, 
See you tomorrow. See you Wednesday. See you Thursday. See you Friday. Robert, see you in a bit. Backstage. Peace out, peeps. <laughs>